Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 248. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Michael Waldron, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our spoiler review, want to remind you about to check out Fanshow Plus, whether that is via patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fanshow Plus or the MCU Fanshow channel on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. It is exclusive for premium subscribers in those places. That is where we talk about additional MCU news like the Doctor Strange box office, as well as some more fallout from this movie that we may anticipate in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and even stuff outside the MCU such as spoiler reviews for the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. And then make sure you follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. And now, on with our show. Paul Herman, this is hmm. usually the time that I would ask you how you're doing, but for this episode, hmm. I've only got one word for you. And what's that? Run. Okay. That sounds good to me. Yeah, this is not all MCU run. Fan Show. Forget what I said before the music. This is MCU <laughs> Fight Night for all of our listeners. We are here to battle it out regarding Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. This might be... The largest difference of opinion that many of you have heard from us, maybe the largest difference of opinion in a, almost just almost. a scotch under seven years. Has it been okay. seven years? Well, that Since was 2015, FF? right? Yeah. Fan four stick? Yeah. So what I'm referring to is an episode that apparently isn't in the feed anymore. So I'll have to track that down and get yeah, the uh, track down the backup file and get that up on the feed. But MCU fan show legend was an episode about uh, the, the fan four stick, Fantastic Four 2015. I was not a fan of the film. Paul did his best to defend the film and then proceed to never watch it again. I watched it again. Like I five it years time. later. <laughs> yeah, five years later. And, and for the record. Wasn't that when you found like a $5 Blu-ray or something? No, I, I think I got it for uh, Christmas. Uh, oh, for, okay. One of those things. Um, I, for the record, I did watch it uh, re when, I, when I watched it that time. And even when I, I, I remember, I mean, it's been seven years. So forgive me if I forget everything I said. I admitted that the third act is a mess and it's awful. But I like the first two acts a lot, legitimately, still. Um, and watching it again only secured me and my feelings in that. Um, the third act is a, is a giant, horrible mess. Um, but yeah, anyway. I digress. Yeah, it's uh, almost as big of a mess as the first two acts. But um, anyway, we digress. I don't actually think, even though we did a good job bait and switching everybody and, and hyping up a fight, we'll see how this goes. We'll I don't think we are as opposed uh, as we were back then. I think that for this movie, it's hard for me to know how it's going to go, because if anybody saw my reaction tweet to seeing the movie this week... I didn't even know what to think. I was all over the place with this movie because the movie's kind of all over the place. There are things that I love, things that I hate, lots of stuff in the middle, liking, disliking, and I'm not even entirely sure where I land on this just yet. I'm, I'm pretty mixed, pretty much on the fence, and that's usually, I, I can't say that's a good sign because that's normally not where I'm at with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm very happy to have the opportunity to 
do a spoiler review and be able to talk about all of those different things of what I liked and didn't like and why and get into the nuanced conversation of it. But mm-hmm. um, I guess for everybody who is saying that Sean always loves everything MCU, this yeah. is the show you've been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I don't think so. I mean, hey, go check out the zombie episode, What If, spoiler review for that. But I know this is bigger, right? This is a movie, and normally you hear me say very favorable things about MCU movies because I generally have very favorable opinions of this. So just know up front, I don't know what's going to happen over the course of the next hour, two hours, however long this goes, but it all comes from a place of love because I love these characters inside the MCU in the comics that helped give us the MCU, the foundation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so all of it comes from that place. And this is a movie that I think I am destined to have maybe the most complicated relationship I have ever had with a movie because it is full of things I love, but maybe Mm -hmm. didn't hit the mark on all the reasons that I love them. And what does that mean? I don't know. It's a pretty vague nothing burger of a statement, but I will do my best to articulate uh, how exactly I arrived at that conclusion uh, as we go on. But it's funny when I put out that reaction, Paul, you reacted to my reaction, but then you also sent me a text and you were worried about it. And I texted you because I knew Mm -hmm. I was like, you're going to like this a lot more than I did. And Mm -hmm. of course you did. So uh, before we get into the specifics, Paul, your overall thoughts on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. All right. So I'm going to go on a limb here. And uh, and if you need to, to mute or not mute me, but to beat me, Sean, or, or you know, censor me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, no, no. Gonna, no, no gonna, don't don't make don't create more editing work for me. Watch your language. Oh, really? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Just for just for you, Sean, because I love you so much. And for uh, the listeners who have kids in the car. Who cannot watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? I really hope you didn't take him. (laughs) I uh, for my for you, Sean. I won't won't say anything mega bad, but I effing love this movie. I effing loved love this movie. I, you know, Sean, you know my taste and everything, and we and we both know each other. Which is why I told you you didn't have nearly as much to worry about (laughs) as I did. I and no, granted, like even when you say that, I'm like, okay, what does that mean exactly? Because you know, because every once in a while, I might surprise people and say, why didn't you like that? And I don't like things just because I, I want to be contrarian. You know, some people probably think that that's not that's not me. I just have a very weird specific taste, and sometimes yeah. the things that you think I'd like, I hate, or and vice versa. Do you want to know weird. what clinched it when I just knew for sure that you would love the movie? Right. Just tell me. Was Evil Dead Doctor Strange speaking? Yes. <laughs> love evil dead (laughs) not just evil dead dr strange in general but when he's speaking and and how awkward that looks uh in sam and true to form sam raimi horror camp sort of stuff uh i was and i had a there were other things that i knew you would really really dig but that moment i was like that's the clincher we're we're done here paul's gonna love this yeah so i kind of before we go super deep in everything i i when people were talking about the movie, and I say with Sean, you're the first person, obviously, and, and those who don't know me, if you're, listening, if you're listening to this for the first time, thank you, welcome. But I'm not someone anymore. I used to when I was younger, but not not now. I've I've grown to my point where I'm like, you know, I don't want to be just devour everything around me and read people's opinions. I want to discover things and not be tainted for any reason. And even if things don't like. Uh, even though opinions may not 
influence my ultimately sometimes they can just you know subconsciously you know in your head you get expectations of someone else's expectations and it just it's a big you know gobbly mess and i don't want to get involved with that i'd rather just go into something as clean as possible and just experience it for myself and i was definitely nervous when you were kind of it's you kind of basically told me it was a mess for you and i that made me nervous because all across you know, at Twitter, I'd see little things here and there of like, this is going to be a very, you know, split, you know, fandom on this movie, basically. And I, I didn't know what, what to think about that. And I, I, I'm always usually, it feels like when there's things are split, I am always split with them in a sense to where I feel like I, there's things I like and things I don't like when fandoms are like that for things that I love, like Star Wars or, or Marvel. For the most part. So walking into it, Sean, I just wanted to experience it and have fun with it. And I'm, I just I thought, OK, it's got Sam Ramy, who I and for those again, when we go into this, guys, I want you all to know I'm a huge Sam Ramy fan. I freaking love Sam. I before Spider-Man. I spent my years of high school watching Army of Darkness probably a thousand times in one year. And I'm not even joking. And I've watched Evil Dead 2 almost equally amount of times in, in a year, like a couple years later. I just watched it a ton. Those are like movies I will cherish for the rest of my life. Me and one of my best friends, Dave Valdez, uh, a.k.a. my friend Padre, Father's Figures on Instagram, huge uh, toy photographer. Uh, you know, we developed our, our, our friendship through literally Star Wars. And Army of Darkness. <laughs> so we, like, I'll never forget, like, you know, we're quoting, you know, I was quoting Army of Darkness to him. We worked in the same place and he did not really, like, you know, I, he didn't want anything to do with me. And then we started talking about Army of Darkness and his ears kind of perked up. Like, you know, you know, you know, Bruce Campbell? I'm like, of course I do, man. Come on. And so, you know, Papa have Pizza <laughs> or Pizza Papa? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I love Sam Ramy. So I knew I was going to go in and be entertained to an extent. Um, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in this movie, I think. And obviously Sean and I are gonna do a lot of that. But for me, pound for pound, and if it what if this is not including Spider-Man and Avengers, now that's not I'd say a lot, I think, but but bear with me here. Not counting Avengers and Spider-Man films, this might be the most fun I've had. Maybe equal, if not I'd say equal to Ragnarok. I think Ragnarok was the last I think really like fun time I had wasn't like, you know, they didn't have the Avengers or, uh, Thor or uh, Spider-Man in it, excuse me, but Thor Ragnarok was probably the last time I, I just had a real blast with a Marvel film. And I, I, I think this movie is just so, 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 so good. Uh, I, I, and I love Shang-Chi and I, and I liked Black Widow a lot, but to me, to me, Sam Raimi plus Marvel plus Benedict Cumberbatch and, everything it's all for me this was my movie that i felt like i laughed out loud uh so many times and in the best way not i was laughing with it and yeah i can't wait to dive into all of it but yeah those who those who want to know i love this movie i love it a lot i haven't seen it only seen it once only seen it i haven't seen it again for this review but i can't wait to get back and watch it again it, it, to me, this might be one of the most rewatchable uh, Marvel films for me ever. Maybe. I well, don't know. I but didn't even... I, I think you're right because I did not dig this movie nearly as much as you did. And I still was good with watching it a second time. I've seen it only twice so far as of this uh, as of this recording. I do plan to see it again on the big screen. I'm not done with this movie. And yeah. that should just go to show how much I love the MCU. And I, I will say the second viewing helped a little bit. I don't think it swayed me to completely a, a completely different side 
than where I was after the first one. It's hard to move me to like any side because I wasn't on any side to begin with. So um, I don't know where I'm leaning like overall positive or negative. I felt like slightly negative after the first viewing, a little bit better after the the second. And uh, although honest reaction coming out of the first one, it's interesting you bring up Ragnarok as kind of the last time outside of Avengers and Spider-Man you remember like that you can remember having the most fun watching an MCU movie. I walked out of this movie thinking, boy, I can't wait for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, that's where I was after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And there are some things, oh. there are some choices that I'm just not a fan of that we will get into as we go on. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are bad choices, invalid choices, or whatever. And it's not something where I'm saying this is bad storytelling, this is bad filmmaking, whatever. It's just not to my taste and, and not to my preferences of how these characters, some of these characters have been handled and how I was hoping they would be handled going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I don't know why I'm talking around it. You obviously know I'm talking about Wanda. And so, yeah, there are some things there that, that we will get to that I wasn't super happy with. But I also don't think in terms of the the quality of the movie and turning on that critical analysis a bit more just beyond the fan preferences, I don't necessarily think that the story they told here really validated and supported all of the choices that they made. I do think that Sam Raimi did a hell of a job making a Sam Raimi film. And I think he made a very entertaining movie where if I just put this movie in a vacuum and I didn't know anything about any of these characters, specifically their MCU iterations ahead of this, there is a chance that I enjoy this movie more because as the Sam Raimi horror movie, it works very, very well, and it's a lot of fun. When you start getting into some of the broader MCU aspects and factoring in history of characters and, and what in the present and what might be the future of these characters, that's where it becomes a, a little more difficult. And I do think that because this is still the MCU, and, and I want characters to have, and I want directors to have the freedom to do their own style. I'm not saying that Sam Raimi shouldn't have made a Sam Raimi movie. He totally should have, and I'm so glad he did because I don't really think this story was fully cooked, and I think Sam Raimi did a hell of a job providing the best possible version of this film because of his style and everything that he brought to it with a huge, huge assist from that brilliant Danny Elfman score. That like straight up heavy metal guitar solo score that uh, that Danny Elfman brought to this, um, it was magical. And so there were definitely things about this movie that had me charged up, excited and thrilled and entertained. And then going back and forth between that and some stuff that I wasn't really digging. But um, let's stop being vague. Let's talk specifically about this movie. And we'll start... Um, I'm going to do as, as best I can to get us beat by beat through this, but I don't have the advantage of being able to rewatch this a bunch of times and take notes as I go, like I do the Disney Plus episodes. But we're going to go through the major beats of this movie, but we may jump back and forth a little bit when it becomes relevant to debate, of course, a, a certain topic. But um, the start of this, oh, one more thing that I, I do want to call out, because I know it's not everybody's favorite way of watching movies, but Marvel Studios did put... And in the theaters and everything, definitely put more emphasis on 3D showings for this movie. And I would say that if you do get a chance to watch this movie, 
I recommend checking it out in 3D. I had the benefit really? of, yeah, I had the benefit of watching this movie. The set, my second showing was IMAX with laser 3D at TCL Chinese Theater IMAX in Hollywood. That is like the best IMAX, especially for 3D. That is the best IMAX that you're going to find, or at least that I have found. I absolutely love it. But if you have IMAX with laser, not just IMAX, IMAX with laser and they're offering 3D, highly recommend checking out the movie in that way. I've also heard Dolby 3D is really good if there if anybody has that available near them, although that's a little bit harder to find. I recommend it. I think this movie really plays to that. There are some sequences, including the opening that we're about to talk about, that play it so incredibly well in 3D. I don't know if this is my favorite 3D presentation in the MCU. The highest regard that I have for that was at the same theater, TCL Chinese Theater IMAX with laser 3D, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in 2017. That one was just an absolute stunner. And this one I would say is at least very close to it, maybe matches it, maybe even exceeds it. And um, I, I really think that if you're going to see this movie multiple times, one of those showings being in 3D, if you have a decent 3D theater near you, um, I, I do think it's worth checking out. I, I don't know. Kevin Feige did say uh, recently that 3D was going to be uh, something, a bigger point of emphasis for the MCU. I don't think it's going to be true of every single film, but if they start doing it and they, they handpick certain films, I'm excited about that. And Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness really was a stunner in that format. Just looked, uh, it, it looked fantastic. So now let's get into what actually happens in this movie. So we open with what Doctor Strange will believe is a nightmare. It is America, our Doctor Strange, but it's America Chavez and another Doctor Strange. And since I said the name America Chavez, first opportunity to point out how wonderful, fantastic, incredible Sochi Gomez is as America Chavez in this movie. So I know you're wondering things I love, things I hated. Put her in the category of things I loved. She was awesome in this movie. Um, she was just right with, I mean, she's going with, going in there with an MCU heavyweight in Benedict Cumberbatch and she's with him step for step, loved her performance in this. And I am so excited about her future in the MCU, even if she's training with a guy who told Dr. Strange to kill her. We'll get to that anyway. So <sighs> we have America so Chavez and Dr. Strange running from some demon. They are headed for the book of Vashanti or in the comic books in the book of the Vashanti, however you prefer. Um, Strange decides that the only way to uh, get out of this is to kill America Chavez to take her power because she can't control it. And the only way that to keep the demon from getting it is if Dr. Strange has it and can wield it against this demon. And he even uses that familiar line from Spider-Man No Way Home about in the calculus of the multiverse, blah, blah, blah. Her sacrifice is so small compared to the lines being saved. Dr. Strange, deservedly so, uh, gets killed for that garbage. And uh, America oh, Chavez God. is caught. She accidentally opens a portal and escapes with the body of this Doctor Strange. And then it's wakey-wakey with a shot that Benedict Cumberbatch dieted and worked out for, probably shot early on in shooting, but he looked ripped, so good on him. And then he's got to get ready to go to a wedding. But this opening sequence, again, 3D, so good in that format. I, I cannot recommend it enough, even as somebody who has a mixed opinion of this movie. No mixed opinion about how awesome that looked. And... Um, as far as the opening, I, I liked it. I really liked opening with America Chavez and also opening with a Doctor Strange that wasn't necessarily the one that we are most familiar with because I think it throws us right into 
the conflict and the madness of the multiverse and, and all of those things. Mm. And it was just a really cool action sequence. I even liked the demon, like the the, the nameless demon <laughs> that was there right. that obviously was conjured by Wanda Maximoff or the Scarlet Witch. I thought this scene looked great. And so, um, yeah, I, I had no problems with the movie as of this point. Yeah, this was a great uh, kind of setup. I, I think that what's lost are these really like fun, like intense introductions like this. And it feels like we don't get them as as much where they kind of throw you into like intensity right away. I love superhero movies that start on action. Yeah, me me too. And I think we again, Marvel's done it here or there. But I mean, this is like straight, you know, you can't even breathe. And I'm like, yes. And it felt literally on the run when the scene opens. (laughs) It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. it's a great introduction. And I I, that maybe that's what kind of set the tone for me early on, Sean, because I was immediately captivated. I'm like, okay, this is. Sam Raimi just threw himself right in the screen. I'm like, yep, I'm in. Let's do it. And you obviously know, you know, with, with uh, his bad hair, because I, I hate uh, other Doctor Strange's hair. It's terrible, by the way. Um, not my thing. But I like the costume. Costume is very um, like mid 2000s ish Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, I thought. That, that was a cool little nod, you know, to the costume. Uh, so I loved American Chavez being shown and, and you see her, you know, what's going on. There's almost like this. Uh, I love being thrown right in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's this, they have this established relationship. And then, you know, obviously when he turns and tries to you know, kill her, and it's just a great, you, you don't know what's going on. And I love you're, you're just kind of guessing because, again, for someone like me who does, who stays away from spoilers, I have no idea what's happening. And just everything was, it was, in, it was really crazy to get thrown right into it. And I feel like that it's a great, I'm not sure if that was in the script all the time or if that was, you know, or whatever. It feels like that was a same. It feels like it was a Sam choice. Maybe it's, it wasn't, but it feels like it was because the way this movie is, you almost need to set the tone early right away without giving the fans too much time to like, Oh, you know, what is this? Because let's be real, Sean, Sam Raimi has a very particular style. Now, Spider-Man I've gone on record saying this. He's toned down that style quite a bit. I felt mostly for the first one. The second and third get more weird Rami a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, the most Sam Raimi scene in any Doctor, of his three Doctor Spider-Man Octopus. movies, it's the Dr. Octopus scene oh, in the hospital. So that is the like quintessential, that Sam Raimi scene uh, so good. in that sequence. But yeah, I, I think the idea of picking up right on the action. Also, another cool thing to think about with this movie is like i like the portals the the way yeah. the, the portals that america chavez was opening up those looked awesome and so i mean yeah. and the visual effects throughout this movie were really really great so uh and that does a, a whole lot in in adding to just the the fun that that is there to be had in this yeah. uh in this movie well, yeah like, it's and awesome and really quick i just want to add about the sam Raimi. i think what's important is the style that he does, you have to get, you have to know what you're getting into it right away. And I think it was important to establish the tone setting for, for Sam because it's such a different kind of movie. Um, even compared to all like James Gunn, they feel like James Gunn again, he like, like Rami did in Spider-Man, he toned it down a little bit and got progressively more, you know, intricate, if you will, in, in volume two. But I think with this one, it was smart to kind of show the audience show right how intense he's going to be, because I feel like that kind of lures you in. And I think if even for you or someone like you who is mixed on it, you like just like me, we're, we're in immediately, especially the portal. The portal scene was awesome. One thousand percent. So, I yeah, this was a fantastic maybe what maybe it's early. 
it may be one of the better intros of Marvel uh, MCU ever. I don't know. It's throwing it out there. Yeah, no, it's a very good introductory scene because it's not an introductory scene. It's throwing you in yeah. pretty much right in the middle. I mean, I think that, and even the way it does it, right? Because there are movies that open on action sequences. We've talked about Avengers, and, and even though it's not technically part of the Avengers franchise, it's part of the MCU and key moment in there. Captain America Civil War with the Lagos sequence. It doesn't start on action. It quickly ramps up into action, yeah. but it doesn't start on it. Or you look at Infinity War, where you pick up in the middle of a scene. Well, what you're picking up is the aftermath of the action. And then there's a little bit, you know, Hulk fights Thanos and everything, but it doesn't last that long. And so this is where, as we open on this, our characters, including one of our main heroes throughout this entire film, is they're on the run and, and right in the middle of this. And they're taking us to the place that we're eventually going to have to uh, venture back to in this movie, although it doesn't amount to much by the time we get there again uh, in this movie. But yeah, it was a great opening sequence. As I said, um, on my anger meter, nothing's making me mad yet uh, at this point in the in the film. So okay. let's go to uh, the wedding and the wedding scene. No complaints. Uh, thanks to uh, Michael Stuhlbarg coming back and the return of Dr. West. I, I don't know why, like it didn't, I didn't even think about and I didn't see... Because I, I, I use the Paul Herman method as best I can, even though Marvel broke through on a lot of that because I follow mm. way too many official accounts that were sharing way too much. Side note, um, Kevin Feige even mentioned like at the premiere, like they showed way too much in the trailers. And I'm like, yeah, like, why don't you tell somebody? Uh, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Why don't you tell? Because um, I, I appreciate that marketing kind of does their own thing. But uh, I got to feel like Kevin Feige outranks literally any marketing executive at the Walt Disney Company. So um yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a lesson to be learned. But thankfully, the return of Doctor West was not spoiled for me. But I really like this scene because it certainly plays with some humor, but it does get into the theme, or one of the yeah. themes that's being explored for Doctor Strange. Because we just saw it, right? A different version of Doctor Strange was right there, ready to kill this teenage girl be, in order to save the multiverse, right? That he was ready to make that sacrifice. And Dr. West is asking uh, Stephen Strange, or Dr. Strange, asking him, did you really have to, did it really have to be that way? Not that everybody knows the ins and outs of what happened on Titan or anything like that, but did it really have to, was that really the only way that they could have done it? And, you know, it, it's played as almost a little silly and a little funny, like Earth's, you know, best, you know, world's best surgeon and best superhero and all of that. And they even, you know, initially kind of talks about how Dr. West was also blipped for five years and he lost his cats, which people kind of laugh at in the theater, although that's sad. He lost his cats. That sucks. Um, but then when he mentions, you know, I think he loses a brother and then Stephen Strange is, you know, then has to genuinely say that he's sorry and then Dr. West gets his like ultimate clapback of like, yeah, but you still didn't get the girl as we're about to see Christine Palmer as played Oof. by Rachel McAdams walking down, uh, walking down the aisle. And then it gets into the conversation between the two of them results in that question for her uh, from her to Stephen Strange. Are you happy? Um, which is a big thing of Dr. Strange figuring out whether or not he's happy and what it would take to make him happy. I don't know that he's really figured that out by the end of this movie, but it's worth pondering, at least for now. But the whole idea of Doctor Strange being the hero of the cosmos, the hero of the multiverse, and the way he calculates things 
is very different from the way a lot of heroes would calculate things. There are certain heroes, like, say, Steve Rogers, who are very uncomfortable with the idea of trading lives. That hasn't necessarily been something that Doctor Strange, I wouldn't say he takes it lightly, but he's still been very willing to do it, as we have seen at different moments for him throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now he's being called to task on it, and that's where I give the movie some credit as far as an arc for this character, is by the end of this movie, he makes a choice not to do that with America Chavez, and they start that really right here um, with this version mm. of Doctor Strange. And so there is a, there's a lot of value here in this in this wedding scene, creative storytelling value. Yeah, and and that's something that I really, I really want to emphasize. And and those again who who listen to the shows will know that I love themes. Themes are a big big thing for me, and, and because they connect us to the characters, because the themes are universal. And I think one of the things about Doctor Strange was, is really interesting is that we only have gotten him before this, Sean, as being someone who's very confident in, in a way where he he's, he doesn't mind being by himself. You know, he obviously cares about people, but he's a very soloist, uh, solo character, you know. And even when he cares about people and loves, you know, you know other people, he still is that person by himself. And I think this movie did a great job of emphasizing that even he needs to, you know, has desires to be around people, even though he, you know, we get this idea of like, I'm doing my own thing. You know, him and Wong are, are we're partners, they're friends, but he very much is this, this solo character. And I love the idea of him. Um, and and the, I forget, I'm getting terrible themes, but the guy from the first film yeah. who's also in, uh, <laughs> what's the, the, the HBO show? Oh, with, yeah, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, who is, you know, of course, star, starred for a long time in HBO's Boardwalk Empire yeah, and, Boardwalk and Empire. many other yeah, things. So like he's, a He's gem. I, I'm my only disappointment in Michael Stuhlbarg in the MCU is they could have given him a much bigger role than maybe than maybe this. he'll be something. Maybe you never know. I, I, never I don't know. know. Here's but, hoping. But right. But the thing is, what's nice is that this starts us off the fact of I love it when he asks him because I wasn't you know the whole time they're playing it for laughs and I'm I'm just laughing with everybody else and then when he says Did, you know was this the only way. I love the fact that we're going back to these consequences that heroes have because to me. That is that can be very much a, a tired trope for superheroes, yeah. but I think it's a. But at the same time, I do think it's a necessary one because what what to me what I love about it is that it's because it was Doctor Strange's, you know, it was his idea. It was him saying this was the only way. So all that weight of all those things that he said, I lost my cats, I lost my brother, mm. all that weight all of a sudden shifts right to him when he says, was that the only way? Because it was Steven who looked, he went through and looked at all the different scenarios and found that one. And I love the emphasis of it because again, and I, I give a lot of credit to me, to the script here. And I think also the direction and the, and the execution by the actors, but the fact that you lures you in with the laughter and then it just hits you right there right. in the gut when he says that, I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's, I, it's very I, disarming it was, before it, yes, it comes exactly. right for you. And I think that um, we, we do have to give Dr. Strange a little bit of credit. We know more than Dr. West does. He checked the tape literally 14,605 times and found the one way sure. to uh, to win. But and I think it's still that, hard. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and that's where I, I think for Stephen Strange, though, it's that it is a back and forth. I think. There are times where he can and 
arguably must justify certain things to himself in order to go ahead and do it, especially if it really, truly is the only way. And he checked enough times to be sure in Avengers Infinity War, but there are times when he really doesn't. Like this other version of him didn't necessarily think it through when he tried to kill America Chavez. And there was the Doctor Strange, our Doctor Strange, 616 Strange, in Spider-Man No Way Home, who was right away thinking, gotta get rid of these guys, can't help them, just gotta send them back, their fate is their fate, whatever, and and that's it. And their sacrifice, as everybody knows of what it means, you know, so small compared to what's at stake for the entire multiverse. And so Doctor Strange always weighs things differently, but he, he has to, right? Because he's operating on a different level than most no of the characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because he can actually see it to some extent. Not that he can see mm-hmm. the entire multiverse, but there's a lot of things that he can see that everybody else can't. And it's impossible not to factor those things in, but it's also important to not lose your soul in that, to just think about it, everything in that practical sort of sense of, well, this is what the math says. There's also that part where you do have to listen to your heart a little bit as Undead Strange will do later on in the and, film. So yeah, Sean, it was great. Really quickly, again, really quick, I know we're, 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 it's going to be a long episode, people just buckle in. But one of the things I think that I kind of, you know, looking back on it as we're talking, and I thought about this too in the, during the movie, was that how Doctor Strange has a different role at this point too, right? Like now... He's kind of overseeing, I mean, he's always overseeing the multiverse and, you know, different dimensions and and whatever. But really, like besides Wanda, which we'll get to in a second, he really is one of the more powerful people in the MCU. So he's got a lot of pressure on him himself also Mm. to protect everything. So and he's done it already. So I feel like there is this added pressure of like, oh, you're this, you did that, you know, and he on himself. And I think that you see that pressure on him in No Way Home. And maybe this is me projecting, but I do feel there is like this, there's this, there's this tendency for him to be like this bigger than life, like, you know, stoic person. And this movie is about almost deconstructing that, uh, that stoic solo person in this. And the fact that he is, you know, he, the world sees him as like this, the be all now, cause you don't have Tony, you don't have Captain America. You really have Dr. Strange. I mean, he is, you know, besides Spider-Man and who knows what's going on with that now, but Doctor Strange is now the most recognizable hero that's actually active at this point. And so to me, that's a big deal. And I think that's to me was emphasized really heavily in this movie that I liked. And I felt like that was definitely also on his shoulders. Wasn't, I think, an obvious thing, but I think it's definitely there and, and working uh, behind the scenes. I think there's another key element that gets introduced in this scene with the line that Christine had, you know, stashed in the barrel as uh I'm paraphrasing from Doctor Strange, that line about part of why it didn't work between the two of them is Stephen Strange always has to be the one holding the knife. And yeah, there are different ways to think about that, right? Like there is the the way of just thinking about it, it, being the one holding the knife is being the one in control. It's being the one in the lead. It's being the one who makes the decisions, who, who executes in all of those things. And it's not being the one who trusts everyone else. And I think that's part of why in a relationship, that's what failed is it was never like a mutual partnership between the two of them. Stephen Strange always has to be out in front in the lead in control. And that might have been what sabotaged their relationship. Although, frankly, this movie gives way too much credit to the Stephen Strange, Christine Palmer relationship that was not really that well defined in the very first movie. Not the fault of this one, but it also built on something that a foundation that wasn't really there or not not fully realized 
Anyway, I digress. There went that first criticism of the movie. So, um, but the other part that I that I liked about it, besides just the whole in control, is that idea of trust. And I like the I like that Stephen Strange by the end of this movie puts his trust in America Chavez to be able to control her powers when the situation called for it, and he didn't have to take her power, kill her, use her as a pawn, sacrifice her, and, and justify it in some way if it's a small sacrifice compared to the fate of the multiverse and all of those things. It's not what he did. He relinquished control. He gave up the knife to someone else in order to carry out the surgery, and that's also when you think about the surgical aspect of it is Doctor Strange is cutting stuff out and not really caring whatever's going to solve the problem. Well, he does. It does end up caring uh, eventually, but yeah, all of those different things that are weighing on Stephen Strange's mind throughout this movie—that's part of what I think this movie does well. I think a lot of what it's doing with Stephen Strange works very well, and that is a huge plus to have in in, in the plus column for this movie because it is still, even though it stars other characters, it is still called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness after all. Let's move yep. on because it's we are way into this podcast and we only got a freaking wedding. <laughs> so as we move through, it is a monster attack. Now I don't have a whole lot of character stuff to talk about in the monster attack. Uh, a few uh, pieces on this. I thought it was really cool. It was they can't call it like Shuma Garath or something like that for I don't know rights reasons or whatever it is, but that's kind of what it looked like with the one-eyed monster that they were fighting. I thought the sequence was uh, really really great. I also loved, and I don't know if this was an intentional homage to Sam Raimi's own Spider-Man movies, but I just thought the jump off the balcony really yeah. felt very reminiscent of uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man and the way there was an audience for it and they're all reacting to it and cheering for it, as you said. Recognizable Stephen Strange, but not just that, like very positively recognizable mm -hmm. in Stephen Strange. Like the world loves him at this point. Dr. West, maybe not so much. Everybody else loves the guy. And uh, even Christine Palmer's new husband is apparently a big fan, although the dude barely talks. We see him being impressed later, like a few minutes later, but who cares? So we get to, well, the movie doesn't really care that much about him. It doesn't. He's, he's, I, I don't really care either. He's honestly. just there. Yeah, so, he's just there. That's uh, he's so, a device. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you don't, you don't have Christine because she's married. Um, yeah. As if divorce doesn't exist. But anyway. Yeah, or cheating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so not that Christine would ever do that. Um, right. Or Doctor Strange would ever do that. So anyway get through this monster attack i i like the whole invisibility cloak i love the as like the fish or whatever that doctor strange had eating like the debris or the car or whatever that was flying through the air everything about this action sequence again 3d awesome great way to watch this sequence uh the action was i i thought really really exciting and fun and i thought it was very inventive and uh you know for america chavez to be able to make a showing and also have wong show up and be part of this and start the whole thing of um, you know, the whole ancient custom to bow because it's not Wakanda. They do do that here, apparently, in, in Kamartage or wherever Wong shows up as a Sorcerer Supreme. Doctor Strange is supposed to bow. But going back to that idea of Doctor Strange has to be the one with the knife, they joke about it that Doctor Strange doesn't bow, but it's there's truth there. He really doesn't want to. He doesn't really mm -hmm. want to. He, he acknowledges that Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme, but... Doctor, I don't think he really likes it. It's not because he has an issue with Wong. He just has an issue with the fact that it's not him. It's not Stephen mm -hmm. Strange. And, uh, you know, and then for that character arc for Stephen Strange that he does defer to and then ultimately bow to Wong by the end of the movie, that part I thought was cool. Also, maybe the greatest contribution to the MCU in this scene is that they start to refer to sling rings as slingies. 
very good. Oh, um, so all of that. I know it's cheesy. I don't care. Uh, I like the line. I like the phrasing of it. And it's, this, this it's whole, not the name. Yeah, this whole sequence. This whole se- well, whatever. Uh, it doesn't have to. It can be the affectionate version of the name. It's the cutesy version of the sling ring. I don't really care. I'm not that attached I, to sling I ring. I but uh, I thought this was a cool action sequence. Okay, so again, everyone knows my opinion on sling rings in general. I freaking hate them. I know they're they're huge in, in No Way Home. They're, they have they have Dude, to exist. They have, portals. I know. I know. Sling rings just, are what give you Endgame. <laughs> I know. But I, just, I hate them. I just don't. I wish. They, anyway, that's I, I, a whole different. You don't have one of the greatest moments in cinema history. Oh, You're right. Man. I didn't qualify right. it and I don't need to because okay. of slingies. Anyway, all right. I just don't like sling rings. I just for some reason I don't like them. Anyway, I, I love the scene. Because, like you said, there is, I, I feel that there's definitely an homage to, to Spider-Man, uh, spe- you know, specifically Spider-Man 2, all the all the building stuff from Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man. Yeah. But anyone who, anyone who knows Sam Raimi, he is all about Easter eggs in his own films and homages and things like that. That, that is like Sam to a, to a T. And I definitely feel that here. And the whole thing, again, that introduction we got at the very beginning it, even though it's not as insane because it's not in a different dimension and everything's like, you know, upside down or whatever. But this is so much, it's so much more in that vein. It just kicks you right back into it. And it's so well done. I, and obviously that, that monster I've seen before in comics here or there, and it was great to see him. And, and, and one thing, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it because I just love Sam Raimi and I love this movie so much, but I felt that this monster, without speaking, Sean, without having like any communication with it, communicated so well. The CGI was so well done and being able to convey what's going on with it that it just I love the eye motions and like the squinting. I felt like it was it was really like lifelike. It yeah, was, no, it felt you could see when it got real. mad. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, but the, the expressions of it, yeah, and it was really impressive. I, I was, I was a little like kind of surprised because again, I think CGI is great. I'm not a CGI hitter at all. It was just really, I was really impressed because I, that was probably the first time. And again, not counting like a Thanos or something like that, but like a monster, like a real full blown monster. I was really getting the emotions from it and just seeing like how expressive it was i was really impressed and seeing it you know chase after uh, american chavez and and everything getting frustrated and, mm. and, and with uh, stephen strange and everything it was just so it was such a great scene to have so much energy and i think that what built the energy was the frustration and anger of the monster itself so i don't know it was re- it was really well done in that way and i gotta tell you i just love anytime dr strange and wong are together the chemistry between those two is just ridiculous. They they just play so well off of each other. And I don't know why, but I never again, I'm gonna harp on this first movie a lot here. And I'm sorry for those who liked that one. I just I never connected to it. I obviously love this one thousand times more than the last one. Even though there's definitely elements of, of their chemistry in that movie, they only flourish after that movie. And they are, you know, and part of that's probably because they've already established, right, Sean? But to me, it, they flourished in obviously in starting Infinity War, and it's built off of that into No Way Home. And with this, it just continues, and it just makes me want to see them more together. I love their interactions, and I thought like they're just they play off so well uh, off of each other. It was great. Um, and again, you put in American Chavez in this; it's a good dynamic, and it's also really funny because 
I, I don't remember if they re- reference this uh, in a little bit, but like how she almost remind she could almost remind him of Peter. He doesn't know who Peter is at this point, but it, I, you got to wonder for me again. Maybe I'm projecting again. There is a little bit of that like history of him where he remembers, you know, connecting to a young character. Because I definitely think No Way Home plays a part in his characterization. At least I think so, Sean. And I think that that definitely, you know, he doesn't remember what happened, or who Peter is. But those uh, those things I think still happen. Oh, yeah, no, it, it softened them. him up when he's got his. Yeah, he's exactly. got those tears in his eyes when you know he's realizing the sacrifice that that Peter is making and what that's going to mean. Like he's. He's not even going to know that he misses Peter Parker because of the nature of this, uh, you know, the nature of this sacrifice. And, and so I, I think, yeah, it's very key that uh, that that happened, even if it's not there, like at the forefront of something that Stephen Strange can actually recall. I don't think that really matters. Like, I, I think exactly. that deep yeah. down, like subconsciously, whatever he knows. And, you know, so it, it, that effect is still very much there, I think. And so, um, I I think it it works on that level. I do think there is some of that relationship plays into or, or informs the way that he responds to America Chavez. And look, we don't know, maybe the Dr. Strange who tried to kill her never knew a Peter Parker or or anything like that. Right. Like we don't know how all of these things, uh, fit within their own, respective universes. And, and so uh, I think that is, uh, I, I do think that's a, a keen observation. And and the other, not necessarily a keen observation, but <laughs> I mentioned how this scene, the beginning of it, Doctor Strange flying off the balcony felt very Sam Raimi, um, you know, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. The moment where we got into, I think this scene also gives us our first like buckle up this is what here's a taste of what you're in for is the sam raimi gross horror effect which is the eyeball coming out yes stab right into the eyeball and then the eyeball being plucked (laughs) out and you see the whole thing and because look there was it's a it's a scary scene right demon flying around in in the opening and then this one with a monster but another part of Sam Raimi is, you know, things can get a bit gross sometimes. And so that is what you get here. And it's kind of your first hint of, of what's to come. Not that it prepares you for the rest of what you are about to see uh, in this uh, in this film. But after they uh, go, they get America Chavez after she took off with the slingy, but they still had Wong. So they were able to work that out. And then it's time to buy the kids some pizza, because why not? Teenagers love pizza. Um, and America Chavez pizza. loves pizza, as I do, in every universe, and including pizza balls, which I totally want to try out. That's got to be a thing. So Good word. You just know, by the way, like how long until pizza balls are served in Avengers Campus? I, I mean, I, I feel like that's happening at, at some point. It's already point. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've already constructed it. They've, yeah, they've it I know. It, it's probably there for the, the PIM <laughs> test kitchen before you know it. We will have, you know, pizza balls from, from Earth 838. So we find out about America Chavez. She can travel the multiverse. That's her power, but she can't do it on command because she doesn't have control of it. And Doctor Strange refers to the experience he recently had in the multiverse with Spider-Man. I love that whole thing of her questioning Spider-Man and whether or not the webs come out of his butt and Doctor Strange saying, I hope not. Um, (laughs) Then the moment when like the woman comes up wanting a picture and like, do you mind? Yes, I do. No, yes. Answering the different questions to America Chavez and Wong at the same time. (laughs) All of that was really cool. 
and you know making fun of Doctor Strange for not being able to speak Spanish. Uh, I thought was really cool, and Wong being able to speak Spanish with America Chavez uh, was great, and even making fun of Doctor Strange not even wanting to speak English because there's calling Doctor Strange out, right? He doesn't really like dealing with people all the time, um, mm-hmm. even though deep down he just doesn't know it or remember it. He is a softy, so they yeah. ask uh, America Chavez to prove that. This is that she is from the multiverse because she's saying that what Stephen Strange experienced was not a dream. And when we dream, that's just our life somewhere else in the multiverse. Big swing to get me to go along with that one. I don't totally buy it for, for the purposes of the MCU. Sure, I'll go ahead and I'll say that that's real because it's the multiverse and that's not real. <laughs> so at least not in the way they presented in the MCU. Oh boy, now I'm going to get theoretical, but I'm not. Oh, going why are you doing this? I, why are you I'm, doing this? Shocker? I'm sidestepping this. I'm sidestepping this. Well, I, I'll take it. These are these are the rules of this universe slash multiverse. Let's go with it. And yes. anyway, so in order to prove that that Doctor Strange, in order to prove that that Doctor Strange was real, she takes them to the body of the Doctor Strange that we see, and then they have to figure out a plan to save America Chavez to protect her from whatever demon has been chasing her and sending these other monsters after her. They decide to take her to Camartage, but they also recognize there were some patterns on that monster that looked like runes. And where do we remember runes from? As they put in the uh, perfect music cue for WandaVision, uh, that it means they that, doc, that Stephen Strange, while Wong takes America Chavez to Camartage, <laughs> Steven has to go pay a visit to Wanda Maximoff. But this introduction of America, her powers, a little bit of the system with the multiverse, um, all of this, I'm still I'm still good with. So our, our good friend, Chris Clow, uh, as she's explaining the, the, the whole dream thing. Right. And they ask her, Sean, they said, well, you know, what about you? And she says, well, there's only one of me because I, I, I don't dream. Mm-hmm. And. Our good friend Chris Clow, I'm, as I'm, I'm, I'm in trance. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm loving this. And he, I can feel him lean over to me and goes, "If she couldn't dream, she that means she probably she would die." <laughs> I was like, "God damn it, Chris!" <laughs> you know? Is that true? I don't know. I, like, where, I'm like, no. I, he, well, it's it's like really, you have to dream. Like, it's yeah, like, I it's, know. Well, right? okay. But, no, he said he said it would kill you. And I, I Chris says he's a smart guy. Well, I, she doesn't I, get I, to be I, conscious of her dreams, just like those times when you know. You and you're in a really deep sleep, and I don't always think I dream or remember any dreams or anything like that. So maybe that's what's going on with yeah, uh, but yeah, America but Chavez. it was just funny because as I'm like in trance, and he just has to break you know break reality for me, and he's like, well, you know, he, she died. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it, Chris, I don't care. No, yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> and even though I just literally tried to do it in this podcast, so who am I to talk crap on it? But yeah, you, you definitely can't well actually this stuff because um, it is well actually it, it is a bunch of hot nonsense. But it's fine. It, listen, right, for the record, I, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. so we now we're going to get into this territory, though, right? You can feel Woo! it. You can feel it uh, in the air. Uh, yeah, that, that's not apples you smell. That's, <laughs> that is the battle uh, that we are about to have. So we get the WandaVision music cue. We see Wanda and her kids. And she's tucking them in, and it's this very, very sweet memory with lines reminiscent of, you know, same thing with the whole, the whole family being together forever. Similar to what we saw when Wanda was putting them to bed with Vision, who, uh, strangely not on Wanda's mind that much in this movie, but um, we see uh, very reminiscent of the WandaVision finale as the hex was being undone. And then Wanda goes from this dream and wakes up to her nightmare, which is her kids are, are gone. They are no longer with her. 
And it's a really good job with the way that scene is constructed and and the way it cuts to her waking up from it because it is the gut punch that this story desperately needs. I don't think it does as much as the movie thinks it does in justifying where Wanda is at mentally and emotionally in this film, but at least they tried something there. And then we get to Stephen Strange's arrival and he smells the apples. He's Wanda is saying that the trees are are real. She is done with magic and she's ready to help out as Stephen Strange explains this situation. Whatever you need. Hey, why don't you just bring America here? Except that, wait a minute, Stephen Strange never mentioned America's name to Wanda. So the jig is up. Now we have this hex or this whole, you know, orchard or whatever is a hex and then we see the scarlet witch we see the dark hold wanda apparently being influenced by it not that i say that explains or excuses all of her actions in this but that's part of the explanation that's provided uh in the film and we are here for a full-on villain turn for wanda maximoff she is the one who has been chasing down america chavez who is trying to kill america chavez to take her power and has been killing some others, including at least one Doctor Strange that we've seen along the way. She but is he killing. Hair. He she is it. killing. Yeah, whatever. America Chavez's <laughs> hair is just fine, so there is no justification for trying to kill that kid. Yet Wanda thinks she can do that in order to get America Chavez's power that she plans to use to leave this reality and go to another one where she can be a mother to her kids. What happens to the Wanda of that reality? Well, Wanda's not really that, our Wanda isn't, or not really our Wanda anymore, is she? Um, Is not really that concerned about that, uh, willing to remove that Wanda from the occasion by any means necessary uh, in order to get what she wants, which is to live a life raising her two kids. So here we go. This is the big swing that this movie makes, and I am not a fan of the choice, but I understand it. Look, This is the stuff that the comics have been doing with Wanda for a long, long time. Mm. So there is a basis for it in the source material. This sort of possibility always existed with the character. But as those who, for people whose this is not their first episode of the show, and you've heard (laughs) me talk about Wanda in the past, whether it's from WandaVision or other episodes... I've been a big fan of how the MCU has not fallen into these traps that the comic books have fallen into. I don't like this idea that the world or now the multiverse is at the mercy of how Wanda feels all the time, that Wanda is out of control or that Wanda, in order to have whatever she wants, she's willing to kill anyone and everything in response to her pain, her grief, whatever it may be. I just I've never really enjoyed that take on the character from the comic books. And I felt like the MCU had largely improved upon that because even in what I thought was the limit of the MCU version of that was WandaVision. And make no mistake, Wanda is responsible for what happens with the Hex, right? Like she created it. She didn't necessarily do it consciously, but she was made aware while it was happening that what she was doing was literally hurting people And she didn't stop right away. She kept it going. And then she was confronted by how much it was hurting people. And then she let it go. She apologized. And I thought, 
she was paying some sort of penance by exiling herself, removing herself from society. I thought that was the end of WandaVision. And go back to, and you can listen to our WandaVision finale episode, because the theory was there. And I'll just say, I was wrong. A lot of you were right on what that post credit scene meant. When she was studying the Darkhold, people thought there were a lot of fans, and not just fans, but everybody, a lot of people thinking that that meant that Wanda was going to be the villain of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I was just really hoping that wasn't going to be the case because I thought there was something beautiful and something more valuable and more interesting in this idea of Wanda being having to have a redemption arc after what she did in WandaVision. And I thought that she had done a good job putting herself on that path with the choices that she makes at the end of that show. And I don't even think that post credit scene does enough to set up the swing that's made here, because even when she hears her kids, it's more like they're calling out in panic and pain. They're frightened. It's not like she's hearing happy kids laughing and having a good time. So I thought it was more like she has to go get them to save them from wherever they went after they left the hex, that it wasn't as simple as they just completely stopped existing in any and all forms. So that was what I was hoping uh, would be the case with this. And I, I still knew that Wanda at some point would probably be tempted to get her kids back. And at some point that would cause her to maybe be tempted to cross a line or whatever it may be. But this movie doesn't really bother with setting that up. They just go, this is where Wanda's at right now. And we didn't really have enough in between, but we're just going to say this is where Wanda's at. And maybe my biggest issue with this, besides the way I feel like it, it undermines the finale of WandaVision and really the entirety of WandaVision, and as somebody who really loves WandaVision, I'm kind of bummed at, at where it went after that. Um, but also, I, I think that in addition to what it's doing, just the fact that she makes this such a big villain turn at all, but it's how it happens. And so where I say I, I disagree with the choice, okay, great, not my preference, whatever, but I, I still don't see the the even bigger leap where not only is she doing this, but she's enjoying it. Like Wanda and WandaVision was in denial about hurting people. Wanda in or the Scarlet Witch in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness enjoys hurting people. And she hurts a lot of people gleefully in this movie. And nothing about that rings true to me, even with the influence of the Darkhold. I just don't buy it. And for anybody who wants to hold up the Darkhold as an excuse, in many ways, I think that makes it even worse because it's just another way to remove Wanda's agency in these stories. That's not good either, except I would say that she still does have some agency or she has enough because even though the Darkhold is still there and still theoretically an influence, she makes the decision to sacrifice herself, even though she's totally still going to be alive, and Wondergore at the end of this movie. So she is in control as she chooses to murder a whole lot of people and be kind of thrilled by it. Whew! Here we go. Uh, first of all, I want to say, when you told me you didn't like the movie, and obviously Sean did not spoil the movie for me at all, and he never would. And I was really wondering, you know, what exactly, there's got to be something, you know, there's story stuff there that I knew you were not going to be happy with. You kind of alluded to it. But I, I could just sense it. I'm like, something's not right. And I had no idea who the villain was going to be. And we talked about it on our old podcast, Sean. It was going to be Nightmare or, or whatever. And I got to tell you, I, 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 I thought they would maybe hint towards that with some of the trailer stuff. I definitely felt like there was, you know, I, I picked up on a little bit of that, obviously. I thought they were going to, you know, go that direction a little bit. But 
on that reveal, and I went, whoa, wait a second. And I, lo- I looked at Chris and I went, oh, God, they're doing it. There's a lot going on in, when, when I thought that. And I like I, I want to make it very also clear that I don't just love the comics in, 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 in a sense to where I think that this is the only way. And if you, if you do, if you deviate, it's the worst. I, I very much want to have, you know, flexibility in these stories. And like a lot of people, I think a lot of us hold up WandaVision as a very much an artistic uh, uh, achievement for the MCU, where, you know, these movies are based upon, you know, the, the all like, any stories, three act structure. But with the, with the TV series, like with WandaVision, it really embraced the creative side of, of the medium of television. And it was meta. It was also telling great stories. I think one of the biggest things, uh, one of the biggest achievements is WandaVision. I, I truly think that and have said that and will always say that. I think that with that being said, I, you know, I, I tend to always kind of, you know, well, not want to prefer the comics, but I always have them in the back of my mind. And when they went that direction, I can understand where it wouldn't work for you. I can understand if you people like you, Sean, who love WandaVision and there's valid arguments there. 1000% for me though, I tend to look at it like this. We argued a lot on the last episode about Agatha choking the kids. So like, you know, one, we argued a lot. Yeah. I'm still not clear One if that's a bad that, thing, but, um, or well, no, I, I'm I still clear think on it. Over, but, but I still think taking over a whole town is, 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 is worse, but whatever. Uh, but my whole thing is this, you establish in this that Wanda does have this uneasiness and yes, she asked for forgiveness and yes, that's, that was a phenomenal part of the episode. But one of the things that I was always hard for me and I, I go back to the comics because I, I can't just ignore the comics either. Right. I can't do that because it does inform the character of where they are potentially going unless they just deviate completely. Um, which, which they, they can do really with that character. They can, but they didn't, and they haven't. And that was, to me, one of the biggest tellings was, and we, again, I remember exactly what I said about the last episode, but I took, I want to say, and maybe I'm wrong, that the the dark hole thing was was definitely hinting at, like, okay, something's not right. And um, I got to tell you, when, you know, when you add the addition of the fact that she lost vision and she conjured up these children, one of the things that I think the comics did maybe not executed the best way, but I think the, the idea was there was that Wanda losing these, these children, these children that she created herself, uh, you know, that to me resonates and understands that she will lose it even more. And that to me, like I could see her spiraling out of control. And yes, you can use the excuse of the, of of the dark hole. And I don't, I want to say for the record too, I don't think Wanda is completely in control. I don't think it's just a dark hole. I think there's, I don't think she's, I think she's in control, but she's being manipulated from outside of everything. And there's a lot of reasons why you do this. I I think you do this one. I don't know how much Elizabeth Olsen wants to play Scarlet Witch as much, maybe after doing WandaVision and you know, you need to take a break, whatever this takes, you know, Wanda out of the equation for a while, but not only that, but how powerful she is. I mean, she's that powerful. How is she? It's, you can pretty much sum any problem up with Wanda. And now you kind of take that problem away. And again, I'm, not, I'm just saying like, I, there's a lot of reasons why you do it like this. And for me, it just all rang true to me. It only makes sense to me for someone who, you know, for again, for me, for Scarlet Witch, not for everyone, but for Wanda herself, 
through the comic books that I have read for so long, Sean, and this is for me, I think this rings true to the character because she doesn't have the support anymore. She's by herself. She has a book like of demonic things telling her, oh, you can have those kids. You know those kids you created that you like you conjured up and lost like your husband? Yeah, you can get those back. And this is how you do it. To me, like I would move. I mean, I can sure. move, I'd move heaven. I understand Earth. the temptation. All of that. But I understand the temptation. But how does that get us to? I'll kill this kid and not even feel bad about it. Like that is I, I agree, where I agree with that. That is where that. I think I, I have the issue. Like I figured when we saw her using the dark hold at the end of WandaVision, the post credit scene, I knew that was never just going to universally be a good thing. The dark hold <laughs> right. is bad, right? Bad things can happen. It's called dark. <laughs> but there's a way to do it to, I think, have a more nuanced presentation of it and have Wanda being led into temptation and then maybe going too far or a little too far or whatever it might be, or almost crossing some of the lines that she did in WandaVision and having to be tested by that and then kind of work her way back from that. And that was sort of along the lines of what I think I thought that they were doing. And it's not just like, oh, I'm mad because I, I didn't make the right prediction. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. I'm wrong about this stuff all the time. I don't care. I'd rather be wrong because if I predict everything correctly all the time, that would stink because I'm spoiling myself all the time. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But I felt like WandaVision was so good and did such a good job with the character and the way it set her up at the end of that series, even with the post credit scene, I feel like it set up for something more interesting that still could have gone into a lot of this territory but I think it's so abrupt and it's such a hard turn, like so it's such a huge swing to completely the other side to not just do bad things for the sake of whatever she perceives as the greater good or in the name of her own happiness or, or whatever it may be, but to enjoy the sacrifice. Like that's the part that just doesn't add up for me. And I don't think right. the influence of the dark hole really excuses that. And and I don't think Wanda is is gone for as long as as you think. Like I, I think that we have a series that's already been announced. Granted, we don't know when it's coming out. Agatha House of Harkness that I think is going to pick up where this left off. Like I I really think there's going to be I mean probably some flashbacks of Agatha's history. But remember one of the last things Agatha said to Wanda before she was turned into the nosy neighbor: "You're going to need me." And this is where Wanda needs Agatha because Wanda went just way too far with the Darkhold and Agatha might be the one who has to save her. They're going to have to save each other uh, in, on their own redemption arcs. But because and, and I think that's maybe the part where if the MCU just if they just live with this of like Wanda made a heel turn and there's no coming back from it, then I would say at least that you're sticking with that as opposed to she's made this very, very evil turn in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because we want to have a scary witch villain in this movie and we don't really like Doctor Strange's movies or villains, even though Nightmare would have been awesome in a movie like this. They, I, I feel like there's no redemption arc for Wanda at this point. Or, I mean, they'll try, but it's going to be very hard to convince me that I should be rooting for Wanda Maximoff at any point in the MCU because of what she did in this movie, what she tried to do in this movie, and how happy she seemed to be while she was doing it, that's the part that's going to be hard for me to forget and reconcile. And look, it was already going to be tricky because 
Um, I will correct you. Our argument was not about who did something worse. My, the argument was whether or not Agatha was doing bad things, and she was. Wanda was also doing bad things, and it was already going to be complicated enough to have her try to find redemption after the hex, but there was at least a bit of a path there. I don't know what that path is coming out of this, and I I mourn the loss of being to be way melodramatic about it. I mourn the loss of Wanda Maximoff as a character I can root for because she was so enjoyable to root for, even when even when she was flawed, even when she faltered. You know, I was still rooting for the the redemption coming out of WandaVision. It's very hard to do that now. And and look, and I've read a lot of the comic books that you have when it comes to Scarlet Witch, and my guess is you're a bigger fan of those stories than I was. Those are stories like specifically like House of M that a lot of Marvel fans love. I never love that story. I don't and, love that one either personally. And, and so there are a lot of choices with Wanda over the years that I've just never been a big fan of in the comic books, and which is why I wasn't necessarily a, a huge Scarlet Witch fan from the comic books. But the MCU iteration was something that I thought really did a better job of handling this character because sometimes that happens in the MCU. They don't just go, well, here's what this character's path was in the comic book, so we're going to do exactly that. They do diverge. They create their own branch timelines of how they handle these characters, and Wanda was a, an example where I thought they did it better than what had than the way she had been handled in the source material. And I, I would still say overall they've probably done it better, but I also don't. I think they it took a major hit uh, in in this film, and as I said, I could disagree with the choice, and that's one thing. It's not my preferred choice or path for this character, and that would be one thing. But the way they went about it, the execution of it, is what made it worse for me because of how happy she is to be doing these things, or how gleeful she seems to be while she's doing these things, and also. This is where I, I don't think the story was as fully developed as it needed to be. You know, we, we talk about, and I don't know why, but because it's just this arbitrary thing that, we, that we've decided to talk about every time a movie's coming out, everybody gets so excited about the runtime for a movie. And everybody's thinking, well, wait a minute, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it's only two hours and six minutes. Like MCU movies lately have been running a lot longer than that. So what's going on with this movie I feel like this is a movie that could benefit from another 10, 15 minutes dedicated to Wanda and getting her to this place so that it's not so abrupt. And I know they want it for effect, right? They want to have for effect this this hard turn for Wanda. And I think you could do that and then still have flashbacks to what got her to this point. Because I still don't think, I, still, I think it's just a huge leap from where she is, even in that post credit scene in WandaVision, to where she is when we catch up with her in this movie, and it's very hard to reconcile those two things. And so uh, even a flashback scene that plays later in the movie that gets me a little bit closer to understanding how far the pendulum has swung with this character, that is something I would have liked to have seen in this. I, I think that Stephen Strange, his name is in the title, so he got a, a much more fully realized character arc in this movie. Wanda as... Her name isn't in the title, but in the marketing and everything, she's basically been the co-headliner of this movie. I think she deserved equal attention, not just to be the scary villain and, and play into a lot of the horror stuff that's going on in this movie, which all which all does very, very well, even though I hate the character choice, the setting that aside and just looking at the presentation of her as a scary villain, that part of it obviously works, but 
how she got there, I think this movie should have invested a, a lot more in that than it actually did. I will, I will 100% agree that there, there could have been more done. I, I do, and like you, I think you agreed that like the scene with her and the kids was very abrupt, and, and, and the whole dream sequence, it definitely to me softened that. And again, I have the the I think the benefit of knowing the character from the comics, and and it, it all played into that to you know for my enjoyment and understanding what's going on and whatever. And I, I definitely agree that there, you know, me and Chris talked about like having that 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 last show, like there almost could have been one more uh, episode of WandaVision where it's her exploring the dark hold a little bit, you know, something like that. And I don't know, just, just for me, I, I just, I think to me that this was, I liked everything and I love like the horror stuff definitely. And, and I think the ham and that's the other thing too, I want to talk about for a sec, quick second is like just how we're talking about range for an actor and actress, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, man, you watch WandaVision. She just got, just chops out the, the wazoo and then you watch this and she equally can just ham it up and have fun and i believe and i love every second of it and yeah there's no think, actor who's done more with their character across superhero movies than elizabeth thousand percent yeah she's not phenomenal yeah i mean so I, i'm i'm biased just because I, I like the show better than i like this movie sure i'll take her performance in one some people have said this is her best work in the mcu yeah, you know, I, I'll go with WandaVision. Well, look, it's all equally great acting. It's just exactly. I, yeah. Although, you know, the range in WandaVision is pretty crazy and she's literally transitioning different television genres in addition right. to what she's going through as a, as a character. But she is just phenomenal. And one of my favorite performance moments, even though I, I don't like the the character choice, but uh, I, I've established that. So I'll, I'll move on from it. But, you know, the next thing is kind of the the assault on Kamertage. And because um, as Eric, America Chavez points out, so great, like you basically told the person who's been chasing me where I am. Um, Wanda's performance when she explains where she's at and all the measures she's taken so far are her being reasonable and, you know, talking about her sacrifice, putting uh, put a hole in my husband's head and it meant nothing. Elizabeth Olsen's performance in that she is selling it so much harder than I think a lot of the story up until that point is. So it's, uh, I can't take anything away despite certain things not matching up with how I would have preferred they went. I can't take anything away from her performance. She is astounding. And, and I think my favorite performance moment from her is this scene, the conversation between her and Stephen Strange. Um, that's probably my favorite scene with her. My favorite moment is when she breaks the fourth wall, which is not a thing that people normally do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's a key development that we'll get to uh, a little bit later on in the movie. But her breaking that down for Stephen Strange of this is where I'm at, and this is sort of why, even though I still feel like it falls short of really justifying that, Elizabeth Olsen does her best uh, with the material that's there uh, to sell it, and, and she almost pulls it off because her performance is, is so incredible. And... Then we get to uh, the the entire might of Kamartage stands against her. They put their shields up, but she finds the guy. She does the whole run thing that I did at the beginning of the show. And then we get into some really, really cool um, horror stuff with the with the mirrors and the reflections and her grabbing people out of the puddles of water. Like all of that was was really, really cool stuff. And then we get to the escape and the multiversal tour. And um, I want to save the multiversal tour for a moment because there's some 
well, you, you want to talk about tangents. I'm, I'm really going to go off the rails on what this could mean for the MCU, but because um, uh, it's just going to be fun. But uh, we won't. I promise not to spend too much time on it because uh, I shouldn't make promises I can't keep. But uh, no. we will try our best <laughs> to not spend too much time on that. Um, but the assault on Kamartage, I like her performance in it. But this is also where when we talk about how far Wanda is gone is she is just killing these people. And generally speaking, the master of the mystic arts, we're fans of those people. They were big heroes in, you know, the battle, uh, the final battle against Thanos and Avengers Endgame. Um, they've done a lot. And even though most of them are, are fairly anonymous and, you know, unnamed for us as fans, seeing her just laying waste to Kamartage and not really feeling all that bad about it or at all bad about it. Yeah. This is where it becomes a little tougher. And and I, I think that's also part of just the way things are so abrupt in this movie is we're just getting used to this huge turn for Wanda. And now it's going right into not just what she's saying, but the things she's actually doing and, and what we witness here to show that, yeah, this is very, very different from what we're used to seeing from this character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We might expect it from the comic books, but yeah, this is a, a big swing for, for us. And yeah, it's like I said, that that path to redemption is uh, I, I just can't see it. I can. But here's the thing, <laughs> you know, well, because, again, I, I don't think it's just pure Wanda. I don't think it's a pure Darkhold. I think there's other elements in play. I swear I, if you I, say Mephisto. No, I I don't actually. Um, On, you know, on the comic binge, we did a story called um it was it was for the Loki actually. Um, uh, uh, oh my God, required reading. I'm thinking of my own show. Required reading, and we read Avengers Forever, which is a phenomenal like '90s by Kurt Busiek and uh, Carlos Pachaco uh, story where it took again multiverse, the different different characters, different eras of Avengers. And one of the interesting things, and I've I've even brought up on the show before, is I'll bring up Kang because Immortus. Um, who is the other version of Kang that they're, you know, Mortis and King are all always fighting. And Mortis is one of the people manipulating Wanda. And he was actually the one in the comic books that helped Wanda and Vision get together in the first place. And he also officiated their freaking wedding. So I think there's bigger multiverse, multiversal things going on. And a dark hole just a tool for it. I think there's other things that are being manipulated into Wanda and I think that's where the I think the the back door or trap door or whatever you want to call it is going to happen, because I don't think this is all just want to be manipulated like someone's being taken over her body, but more so like there's something going on from behind the scenes that, that are pushing these things into her to have her react and cause these things. And I think that's what's going on more than anything. I think mm. putting her in a movie called The Multiverse of Madness only plays to that idea of Immortus and Kang well, sure. playing I mean, from the background. It's, it's very on the nose in Multiverse of Madness that Wanda has gone mad and is wreaking havoc well, on the multiverse. Right. But I, I'll just, because I, I know we've we've got to get through it, but <laughs> I know there I would just say on this, I, I don't like anything that just says, that points to it being any less Wanda's fault than it clearly is. Uh, that kind of stuff, I, I'm just over with this character and and I think that really part of her being redeemed, if that's what they even have any interest in doing in the MCU, and, and maybe they don't, I don't know. But 
the first step is she she really has to own this. Like she owned it at the end of WandaVision and now she's got to own her latest oopsie daisy. Like she's going to have to own this because even if you say it's the influence of the dark hold, well, she was warned against the dark hold and she used it anyway. So, you know, her being corrupted was something that she set herself up for that she could have avoided if she had just learned the lessons from WandaVision as it kind of seemed like she had. Anyway, I did want to talk about this trip through the multiverse because it's not a Doctor Strange movie without a tour of the multiverse. I know you've only seen it one time, Paul, but please tell me you saw the Living Tribunal in that tour of the multiverse. Of course. Yes. I was. Oh, my God. I I remember when we were talking about the trailer where we first heard uh, Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart, excuse me. And wondering, is that the Illuminati or is that the MCU version of the Living Tribunal? Well, they were both there in this movie, although the Living Tribunal, I still want it to be like a full on scene with the Living Tribunal, not just a flyby. So I'm still holding out for that in the MCU. But there's a moment there as they go through the multiverse. And I know that this was there in the trailer, but just got a much better look at it in, in IMAX. But the moment where not when they become paint, but when they become animated, Stephen Strange and America Chavez as they're going through the multiverse. And not only does that play into what we've already seen from the MCU with what if, but I've been theorizing as others have, I'm sure. But ever since we saw the first teaser trailer for uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, I've been feeling like the Miles Morales that we will meet in the MCU is going to be the one from the Spider-Verse movies in just live action form. And he's going to have that Mm. character's history And this, I think, lays the ground for that, that if animation exists now, I my rule for that remains. It can't be like the paint where they acknowledge that they were in a paint universe. I don't want people acknowledging that they're cartoons. I don't want them acknowledging that they look different. They need to look as real to each other in that format as they do in live mm. action. I don't need a bunch of people traveling back and forth between animated and live action worlds being like, well, Roger this looks Rabbit. different because it's just it, it will just get super dull and repetitive. I just don't need it. Um, it's whatever universe you you are in looks as real to you as any other universe you might go to or have been to um, is what I'm hoping for that. But anyway, I do think the door remains open for Miles Morales with a history that's already been built and continues to be built that audiences are investing in in theaters, on the big screen, can be utilized in the MCU. They don't just have to start over from scratch to bring Miles into the MCU. So that's just me hoping, hoping, hoping based on that. And and maybe that's something to talk a a little bit more about in Fan Show Plus or something like that to uh, have another shameless plug. But uh, we got to get to Earth or Universe 838 where food is free. Wait, no, it's not. Pizza Papa's got to get paid. That is our Bruce Campbell cameo. It had to happen. There, it, it would not have been right. It would have been a cosmic multiversal injustice, even bigger than how Wanda was treated in this film if Bruce Campbell did not show up. The question, Paul, was never would he show up. It was just when and who would he play? What would he be? And in true Bruce Campbell fashion, uh, he's somebody that the movie could totally exist without and yet can't exist without because we need our pizza papa uh, in this movie. And and look, you, it, if you're a Sam Raimi fan or if you're whether that's because of the Spider-Man movies outside of the Spider-Man movies, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi, they're they go together. Uh, that's just the way it mm-hmm. is. 
and it was an absolute delight to uh, to see the great Pizza Papa. And adding that to the legend of Bruce Campbell is something I am totally in for. So, like, next time Bruce Campbell's at a con, I'm going to have to get an autograph that's, that is inscribed, Pizza Papa's got to get paid. Man, I... Bruce Campbell is one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, you know, Briscoe County Jr., Army of Darkness. I mean, the list goes on, man. I, he is just... I mean, I had never watched all of Burn Notice, but I've heard he's great. And I know he's great in that. And that kind of helped rejuvenate his career a little bit. I, know I didn't love Bubba Hotep as a lot of other people did, but I, I just love Bruce. You know, he's great. And this scene was so Sam and Bruce. It's it just, I didn't care. I'm sure other people are just kind of like, what is it? But it's so slapstick, but it's so Bruce and I Sam. felt it's, really oh old God. on opening night because I mean, and I had already seen the movie once, so I, I I knew it was coming. But there are the cheers, right? And a lot of things mm-hmm. that people cheer for in this movie, many of which we haven't even gotten to yet. Oh God! But it was like five people who cheered when Bruce Campbell showed up. I know. I was very disappointed in my opening night audience, but it just goes to show that yeah. Those Spider-Man movies were a long time ago, but the first yep. one celebrating its 20th anniversary just this week. Good God. Yeah, and, and this I, I I love the fact that that it's there and he has a big, big cameo and it, it was great and it pays off literally yes, it at does. the end. <laughs> hey, so look, he, he also gets a fourth wall break. So he does, you yeah. know, it's not the way uh, we don't commonly see them uh, in the MCU. So, um, yeah, it, it was just great. And then yeah. we're strolling down memory lane and we see this scene between Steven and Christine and their romance that um, this movie swears we're tragically invested in or something. And, and I'm just not. And I'm only speaking for myself. Maybe a, a lot of you are, are just into this idea of I, I'm with you too. Stephen Strange and Christine fun. Palmer. But I felt like that was also what was happening in the Doctor Strange Supreme What If episode. I, I'm sorry, like I, I know that they were that they were romantically linked in the first movie and that, but then they had shifted more to just being friends and, and whatever. But I, I just, I don't think the first movie really put in the work to say that this was a romance that needed to happen so much so that it is a, a great element of uh, tragic heartbreak for Stephen Strange that it didn't happen. I mean, but maybe that's him opening up in this movie and realize and starting to show how much certain things have bothered him, affected him, whatever. Okay, fine. I'll take that. But the more effective memory that we see here is America Chavez and the first time she discovered her powers where she's there with her mothers and then um, stupid B lands on her or whatever version. Of, that know, was a little weird. That was a space B. I liked it. Parts. I mean, look, it worked because she said like she she opens up these portals when she's scared. And so like a little kid, a bee lands on their hand. That can be scary for a kid. And so and, and it wasn't like she had a huge reaction to it. She screamed because that might be something that happens when a, a bee lands on a little kid. The kid might scream. And that's what she did. And just that little moment of fright turned into something much bigger, of course, as the, the portal opens and her parents disappear. And since then, she has been traveling the multiverse most of the time, you know, pretty much unintentional when she's going from one place to the next, because again, she doesn't actually control this. It just happens when she gets uh, scared. So I liked it. And I, I liked her performance uh, talking about Sochi Gomez as she was watching this. I liked the performance of Benedict Cumberbatch, realizing just how 
sad this kid's story is uh, of what, the, like how young she was when she lost her parents and she's been on her own. And it's bad enough to think about a kid being on their own in any one universe or any one world. But she's been to over 70 at, at this point. And this is just the way she's had to live her life being pulled literally from place to place because by this power that she doesn't control and is now being hunted for. I think it did a really great job for a, for a scene that, I mean, what does that last? Like a minute, maybe? Like when they're showing the memory with her parents, that's doing a lot to show the origin of America Chavez. And they did a really great job focusing on just the emotional aspect of it and getting right to the heart of it. But what really sells it, again, are the performances by the actors. So then they continue on. They realize that the best person to help them in this universe is the other, other Doctor Strange. And so they see that uh, Strange 838 has been memorialized via a statue outside the Sanctum Sanctorum because he sacrificed himself to defeat Thanos. He was Earth's mightiest hero. And then Carl Mordo opens up because he is the one in charge of the New York Sanctum since this Stephen Strange uh, has died. But uh, it is a trap, even though Mordo pretends to be a friend. He has spiked the T, and they are captured, and they are held prisoner by, well, the Illuminati, but also by Christine Palmer from 838. And hey, she developed all this technology for the Baxter Foundation. And you just go, oh. And when I first heard those words, mainly Baxter, I just thought... Okay, this is our FF reference. Cool. Yep. Like, yep. And, and that's all I needed it to be, by yep. the way. All I needed it to be. Um, but yeah, oh. it's about to go much, much bigger than that. So we get that reference, and you're like, great. It, it was almost like it was almost like mentioning the name, oddly enough, Stephen Strange in Captain America the Winter Soldier, where it's like, okay, this is like a seed that they plant for farther on down the line. And And I should have known that they would have. And I know there was already theories that maybe this would happen because if you have the Illuminati, Reed Richards, famously a a fairly consistent member of the Illuminati. So it was always there that, you know, this possibility. I just wasn't sure that they would actually do it. And I thought, okay, this is what this is what they're giving us as like the little kernel, because maybe they're not actually going to give us Reed Richards in this movie. They're just going to mention the Baxter Foundation but uh, no, that's not what's about to happen. The Illuminati will see you now. Uh, Mordo, flanked by Ultron sentries, leads Stephen Strange to this chamber for the Illuminati, where he is introduced to Captain Carter, Black Bolt, as played by Anson Mount from the not-hit series Inhumans uh, from ABC, and Captain Marvel, the Maria Rambo version, Reed Richards, as played by John Krasinski, and Charles Xavier, as played by, delightfully, Sir Patrick Stewart, and they warn him that all this dream walking and all these things that Wanda is doing, and oh, by the way, Stephen Strange has done, or at least another version of him did, they are causing incursions, very Jonathan Hickman uh, Avengers stuff, where basically one reality kind of devours, destroys another, or both realities can be destroyed when these incursions are taking in realities collapse upon one another. So bad things happen when people do things like dream walking, and uh, that is something and they use things like the Darkhold, and the truth about Strange 838 is that he did not die defeating Thanos. Thanos was already defeated, but Stephen Strange had used the Darkhold or whatever. He had caused an incursion, 
and then he was executed by Black Bolt with an I'm sorry. And of course, not even though Black Bolt did the deed, the execution was ordered there and observed by the other members of the Illuminati. So, Paul, a lot for us to digest here. Um, this is where I, I would say that um, this is where the, the Marvel Studios social handles got me. I knew that Captain Carter was in this movie, and I did not want to know that Captain Carter was in this movie. And there was a, a time when, I think this was, I guess, maybe about a week before the movie came out, and right there at the top of my Instagram, I look and I just see the shield from Captain Carter. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like I knew it was again, it's the multiverse. I know all of these things are possible, but I just want them to be possible. I don't want to know that they're happening in advance of the movie. I wanted all of these to be surprises. And I, I appreciate that they saved the Reed Richards reveal. OK, fine. But I would have wanted, and Black Bolt or whatever, like I would have wanted all of this to be saved, and I, I wouldn't have wanted to know mm -hmm. that wouldn't have wanted to know that Captain Carter was in this movie ahead of time. So Kevin Feige, we agree. You're not listening, but we agree anyway. They showed too much in the trailers. Please learn from this. Please don't do this anymore. Um, yeah. Or I'm I really gonna have to unfollow all the Marvel Studios and, and Marvel any sort of official account because those are supposed to be the safe ones, um, and they just they totally were not for this movie um but enough of me whining about the marketing again <laughs> reed richards paul god damn it so like you all now are gonna see where paul and i come together against <laughs> a, a common foe not that we have an antagonistic relationship with no, one no, no. john krasinski but this is a casting idea that I have never been a fan of. And to be clear, it's nothing, it's not a, me being against John Krasinski. It's not even me saying, I don't think he's a good actor. I don't think he's right for this role. And I think a lot of the, it's a big piece of fan casting that has now become actual casting in a movie. And sometimes that happens and it works. Sometimes it happens and it doesn't work. It didn't work for me in this one. And I, I think that the reason why I've never liked it is I, I feel like, and I don't know what happened. We were talking about this off air before we started recording. I don't know which came first. I don't know if it was fans deciding that Reed Richards kind of looked like John Krasinski, or John Krasinski kind of looked like Reed Richards, then he started being drawn to look more like John Krasinski in the comic books, or somebody, an artist started patterning Reed Richards after John Krasinski in the comics first, and then that was what made the fans really want it. But then you add to John Krasinski being married to a really great actor in Emily Blunt, and people just thinking, and they work together in the movies he's directed in The Quiet Place, so it's just natural, like, oh, they're a real-life couple, they can play the fictional superhero couple for the Fantastic Four of Reed Richards and Sue Storm, and I just never needed a real married couple to play a fake married couple because non-real, <laughs> because fake married couples have been going on for years and years and years in movies and shows and whatever else um, as not played by actors who are actually married to one another. It's not necessary. Um, and it doesn't enhance the quality of, of uh, it doesn't make anybody a more desirable casting choice to me if they are actually married to play a married couple on screen. Part of the reason why I never really liked John Krasinski for this is and I don't want to be dismissive of his range as an actor, but typically when I've seen him, whether, you know, most famously is Jim Halpert in The Office, but 
he largely comes across as having an, an everyman sort of quality to him. And that's just not Reed Richards to me. And so like the energy that I've picked up on from, uh, from John Krasinski and the performances that he's given so far, I just haven't really seen anything that gets into that Reed Richards territory, nor have I seen a broad enough range that would make me feel like, well, he hasn't done that in the past, but he can't get there because he's done all of these other different sorts of things. I just feel like for some, for John Krasinski as an actor, a more natural fit for an everyman type of character, whether that's somebody like Star-Lord, well, that role's taken and, and Chris Pratt owns it and I, I wouldn't change that, but uh, a role like Richard Ryder Nova is something that I think John Krasinski would have been a pretty good fit for. I just don't necessarily see him as an ideal fit for Reed Richards and his performance in this sequence did not change my mind. Reed Richards is not an everyman. He is not the relatable, the ever relatable Jim Halpert. He is not that. He is aloof. He is an intellectual. He is an intellectual elite, and he knows it. He is. He can be cold. He can be distant. It doesn't mean he can't be warm. But he is not a character who, who comes across as sincere or emotionally earnest as. Reed Richards is played when he tries to connect with Wanda here um, in this, uh, well, later on in the sequence before Wanda like basically shreds the Illuminati, especially him, uh, literally in the case of Reed Richards. I, I don't love this casting choice. I hope that this is Marvel Studios saying it's the multiverse. This one's for you, the fans. You wanted to see this guy as Reed Richards. We've given that to you and we're moving on for the main Fantastic Four franchise. What's actually going to happen, I have no idea because we don't have a consistent rule here. In this movie, we see multiple Stephen Stranges and they are all Benedict Cumberbatch. But we have also seen different versions of Loki in the Loki Disney Plus series. And more recently in Spider-Man No Way Home, we did have multiple Peter Parkers who were played by different actors. And it wasn't any sort of implication in the film that Tobey Maguire used to look like Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield looked to, used to look like Tom Holland. They were very different looking Peter Parkers so they can be played by different actors. And since that is also a possibility in the infinite multiverse, then when we get our full-time Reed Richards, our 616 Reed Richards, I hope it's played by someone. I hope he's played by someone else. For those who don't know, I've never been a fan of John Krasinski, whatever his name is. And one of the reasons why is I've never been a big office guy. I've never got into the show. I've seen episodes here and there. I haven't hated it. I just, I don't, I didn't connect to it. All my friends back in the day, Sean, they all loved it. And I just, I never connected to him as an actor, him as Jim. I just didn't care. And then when they were casting Captain America, he was up for the role with Chris Evans. And I remember, I've, I think I've told a story many times on the show before, or, or on the old shows. I was scared to death they were going to cast him because he never looked like like Steve Rogers to me. And when we when he, when Chris Evans was cast, and I saw ironically, I saw Chris Evans in cell phone before uh, I had seen him in Fantastic Four, and I always thought, you know, he could, he could probably, I could see it, I could see it. I, I, didn't, I didn't have faith that he'd like be turning what he did now, don't, don't get me wrong, but I liked him enough, I thought he had a, enough charisma that I think he could maybe pull off Captain America, at least in some aspects, more than John Trinsky, you know, whatever. Um, and when 
you know, all these rumors started coming out about him being fan cast as Reed Richards. I just wanted to vomit straight up, just like, stop. He's not Reed Richards. And as far as, you know, who started what, when I want to say they started drawing him with a beard. Um, right. I think when Dan slot took over the run, about a couple of years ago, I, cause they were, cause remember, uh, FF was not, they weren't producing FF comics when Perlmutter was in play. Cause they didn't, um, when Perlmutter didn't want it to support Fox studios. Right. That's right. So yeah. So they canceled the title for many, many years. Um, you know, or uh, yeah, for a good, good chunk of time. And then Dan slot brought it back and. I want to say he's had the beard ever since. And I think since then they, they kind of, you know, put the two and two together. I stayed away from spoilers. I had no idea this was coming. And when that showed up, everyone, a lot, not everyone, a lot of people cheered. Oh yeah. And you know what? I booed. (laughs) I am not kidding you. I booed. And Chris is my witness. He goes, what? What are you doing? I was like, boo. As Clow is my witness, I will not cheer. I will boo this man. I will boo this man. I I did. Yeah, I I did not boo. I'm sorry. No, it's, look, I I did not boo. Although, you know, probably other people in theater were were upset with you for booing. But look, most of the people cheered. And both of the, the, both times I saw the movie, at the press screening and then opening night, people cheered. And, and I know that, look, we're in, we are definitely in the minority on this. And yes. there are probably a lot of you who either already turned off this podcast and so you're not hearing it, or you're <laughs> struggling to get through this segment of it because you just think John Krasinski is a perfect choice. And, and that's fine. Like it, we don't have to, uh, we don't have to agree on it and mm-hmm. we will find out. I am so eager to get into the spoiler interviews for this movie and see exactly what this means for the Fantastic Four movie and whether or not John Krasinski is going to be our our full-time 616 Reed Richards in the MCU. It's not my ideal choice, but even if that's what it turns out to be, I'm not going to... I'm still... And even though I I didn't necessarily love his performance in this, and, and really, I shouldn't even necessarily blame the performance because it's not even totally him. Like, it's part of the way it's scripted, the way he's trying to connect with Wanda... But I also feel like it's being written to John Krasinski as opposed to being written to Reed Richards and, and who this guy normally is. And, and it's not to say he can never be earnest and never try to connect with anyone or anything like that. But there's just something about this that, that doesn't quite click for me. It, it doesn't quite ring true for what I know and, and understand of this character and also what I think is the best version of this character, because I'm OK with things shifting a bit from the comic books. Obviously, I'm advocating for that in the case of Wanda Maximoff, but uh, Reed Richards is pretty cool the way he is. And this is where just preference comes into it as well. So he's not my ideal fit for the role, but if he is our full-time Reed Richards, then of course, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make, I'm not going to make a choice here and now that I'm just not going to look forward to Fantastic Four movies in the MCU. I still am, and I'm going to root for them to be good, and I'm going to root for him to be good because you, you brought up, um, and I, that it actually slipped my mind of the Krasinski Captain America connection. But look, when Chris Evans was cast as Steve Rogers, I didn't immediately see it because I remember Chris Evans first from not another teen movie playing like the high school a-hole. And then in of course, yeah, I also saw Cell Phone. Um, I like Cell Phone, by the way. I like that. Kim Basinger is a legend, period. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, there, there's no argument on that. So. 
when the and then seeing him, you know, as fan, as Johnny Storm, it's like, OK, well, that that's not the guy who plays Steve Rogers. And I also hadn't seen some huge range from Chris Evans as an actor at that point that told me, oh, this is the guy who can totally play this part and knock it out of the park. And even people who liked Chris Evans as Captain America at the time, when we found out about it. Nobody. I, I don't have anybody. And maybe somebody's got it somewhere because it's the Internet. But. I, I have not seen the receipts of somebody saying like this guy is going to be amazing as Captain America. He's going to be the yeah. perfect, like quintessential Steve Rogers in such a way that nobody else is even really going to be able to touch it. That's not what anybody was saying when Chris Evans was first cast. And and even after Captain America, the first Avenger, his performance was great in that film. But we all know the character really elevated not just in that, not just from that first appearance, but afterwards in the Avengers, in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And to John Krasinski's credit, this is not a big part in this movie. There's not a script that's dedicated to developed for Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four and all of those things. So I still will hold out hope that if Krasinski is the guy, that he can show me something that is beyond what I would expect and, and prove me wrong and, and make, uh, make it seem like I was worried over nothing. That's not that hard to do. I, I worry over nothing all the time. So I, I'm going to root for that to be the case if this is our, our full-time guy. At the same time, uh, until we know for sure that he's the guy, uh, I will also hold out hope for some other casting choices that excite me uh, a little bit more. But this is not about Reed Richards. This is not about Fantastic Four. I think we've said what we have to say um, about the casting. And I'll, we'll talk more about the Illuminati when they battle or just get absolutely destroyed by Wanda. But we got to catch up to her story and how she gets there. Because back on Earth 616, Wanda is dreamwalking into the Wanda of 838. That's where we get that fourth wall breaking moment. And it was cool. It was fun. It was creepy. I, I love the other thing where 838 Wanda is looking and then Wanda 616 like looks back at her in the picture frame. Like that was awesome. There was a lot of cool, creepy stuff here. And even that fourth wall break, that's key, man. Like, I, I feel like just even establishing that is something that happens in the MCU. Um, you know, the, the window from their universe to ours. We know that's something that Deadpool is going to look and talk through mm -hmm. before too long in the MCU. And so Wanda kind of going there. I don't think that's the intent. I don't think like this is the setup for Deadpool 3. Right. I don't think that's what it's meant to be at all. It's meant to be creepy and fun. And it, it works on that level, but it also works on some other stuff that, you know, feeds into Deadpool 3. Again, not the intent. So Wanda gets to spend uh, a few quality moments with the kids. But while that's happening, back on Earth 616, the Darkhold is destroyed. And so it looks like Wanda is not going to be able to dreamwalk anymore or do any of the things that she wants to do. But she figures Wong as a Sorcerer Supreme must know of something else. And she's right. She tortures him or tortures other members of the Mystic, of the Mystic Arts, threatening to kill them. So Wong tells her about legendary Wondagore Mountain, um, which, of course, you know, classic location from classically obscure location from Marvel Comics. And they get there. I love the the whole sling ring portal thing and Wanda being like, you couldn't get us all the way up there. Um, that was awesome. And then they Wanda levitates them up there. And there are monsters, but they bow before the Scarlet Witch, and she sees the stone behind her, showing her that it, this place is not a tomb. It is a throne from which the Scarlet Witch gets to rule all. But that's not even what Wanda wants to do. All she wants is her kids. And why are they at Wondergore Mountain? Because that is the original version of the Darkhold. The book was just a copy, 
as Wong explains. Um, so Wong, I think, gave up this vital information a little too easily, but um, I think the bigger issue with this scene is um, is not this scene, but the one that totally contradicts it later on uh, in the story, but we will get there. So um, I, I like this, you know, adding to the mythology of the Scarlet Witch. I, I wasn't necessarily bumping up against this. I, I thought it was cool. I thought the monsters looked cool. There was definitely the jump scare as they're lighting the torches, and then all of a sudden there's the, you know one of the monsters. So cool, scary stuff there, and I, I like the you know Wanda on the throne. And also, while she was doing that first dream walk, that's when we started seeing hearing more of the guitar and, and everything else in the score. Like the Danny Elfman score was shining throughout this movie, but definitely in uh, in some of those moments. But now that they're at Wondergore Mountain, Wanda is able to dream walk again. And it's time for the Scarlet Witch versus the Illuminati. And, well, just like I said, it's Scarlet Witch versus the Illuminati, and it is not a fair fight. And I don't say that because Wanda was outnumbered. I'm saying that because the Illuminati stood no shot whatsoever. And the highlight is definitely the way she kills Black Bolt. I... I have, we go into mixed feelings territory. Let me get the bad just out of the way. It feels weird to bring the Illuminati in for the first, granted it's an 838 Illuminati, so there are others throughout the multiverse, and they did not position them as a multiversal central Illuminati. They seem to be very much of their own universe. So if we say this is the Illuminati of 838, there are others and we'll see them. So it is. it feels a little weird though, the way this plays to introduce the concept of the, of the Illuminati only to kill them moments later. Um, it feels weird to bring, and this is where uh, if John Krasinski is our full-time Reed Richards, to introduce him, granted it's not the same version we would meet for the sake of the Fantastic Four movie, movie we'll eventually see, presumably a 616 Fanta uh, Fantastic Four. Although, doesn't Strange say, like, you guys were a big, weren't you guys a big deal in the 60s? I think he says that in there trying to remember mm. but that would point now. to in 616 the fantastic four being you know part of an older time in the mcu but i hope not but they what doesn't make sense is like the they couldn't have had superpowers because that was still presumably a well, fairly new thing in <laughs> or right 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 so what about this sean he could be making a beatles reference because they're called the fab four maybe he's like oh making, yeah, like, yeah 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 okay yeah all right I'll, I'll take that we'll see what yeah. that means um but yeah, introducing Reed Richards just to, I mean, I know it's not the one that the full time, but even so, like just to kill him uh, a few months later, bring Sir Patrick Stewart in as Charles, as Charles Xavier just to kill him. I mean, I know it gives you it gives you the types of moments you've had in the comic books with Wanda, where she just lays waste to a bunch mm -hmm. of superheroes and mm -hmm. she does it to alternate universe versions, not the ones that we know from the 616 which I guess is fine. It gives you the visual without necessarily having the the larger long-term impacts on the story, although it does have a long-term impact on Wanda Maximoff because I don't care that these were 838 versions of these characters. She murdered them all and did them brutally. This is a Wanda Maximoff. When we talk about trying to walk this back or have redemption later on, she cut a Captain Carter in half. Like, we all love <laughs> Haley Atwell as... Agent Carter, Captain Carter, Peggy Carter, and she cut her in half with the shield. Like, not cool at all. Uh, Black Bolt, 
We're not super invested in Black Bullet, but at least now in the movies, they finally said the word inhuman. They finally said the word Terrigen Mist, or words Terrigen Mist in the MCU. So that was exciting. But the way she kills Black Bolt, yeah, that was cool. And that was very Sam Raimi type of moment, even the way that she kills Reed Richards. And then it's more of a fight, of course, against Captain Carter before she takes her out. And then we have that answer from WandaVision of who's more powerful, Wanda or Captain Marvel, at least when it comes to the Maria Rambo Captain Marvel, who, as far as I can tell, is no less powerful than the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel. Uh, Wanda is able to defeat her as well. So Wanda laying waste to the Illuminati and then of course, the Charles Xavier sequence. I'll, uh, I, I have to share this for this is the opening night story. So we had an issue with my screening, um, or we had I, I shouldn't even say an issue. We had enhanced 3D on my opening night screening. There was a fly that kept landing on the projector. So there was a shadow of a fly that kept popping up on the screen, and it was annoying. But there was a moment where it became funny, and the entire theater just started cracking up when Charles Xavier goes into the mind of the Scarlet Witch to find the 838 Wanda, as you'll recall, there's the rubble, but it's surrounded by this in this completely white space. So that made the shadow of this fly, the silhouette of this fly, very, very prominent. And it just so happened to be behind the shoulder of one Patrick Stewart slash Charles Xavier as he turned around looking back, as if he was turning around and looking at this fly that had almost just landed on him. The way that synced up, it has nothing to do with the movie itself, but it cracked up that theater, and I'm sure it was a had-to-be-there story that was completely pointless for me to tell, but this is a long podcast, and I'll go ahead and attend. I have told it anyway. Um, I was kind of hoping, and this is me getting greedy, right? So we're introducing the, Illumina- the Illuminati, Reed Richards. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Charles Xavier is in Wanda Maximoff's mind, and Wanda, even though it's like Prisoner 838 Wanda is under the like a pile of rubble, kind of similar to WandaVision. And they never answered that question in WandaVision of like whether or not she had powers beforehand or even though she likely did. Where did that come from? I almost thought we were going to get a mutant reveal. I did too. In that moment. That not not almost right. thought. I thought we were going to. Yeah, me too. And then me we too. didn't. And I don't know. If, again, that might just be me being totally greedy and thinking, we've gotten so much in this movie. Might as well get this too. Uh, no, we did not. Um, instead, uh, we just got Charles Xavier getting his neck snapped. Yeah, I I, I grabbed uh, Chris's knee next to me and I said, oh, we're going to get it. We're going to get the reveal. Here it is. And it, nothing happened. I was like, damn it. Um, so <laughs> I was I was legitimately bummed because I thought they hinted at that stuff a little bit towards um, in WandaVision. And I thought we we're going to get confirmation here. I think there's still plenty of time for it, to be honest. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I just I thought it was about to happen. Like me, me, too. Yeah. I, I felt the fact that like he knew it seemed like he knew Wanda pretty well, you know, that I, there was a relationship potentially there. I, I read into it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But that's what that's why I'm here. Uh, uh, there's a lot of Illuminati stuff. I know we're going long. I'll try to keep it summed up. You know, minus Reed Richards, I liked everything else on the uh, Illuminati board. Obviously, I'm going to be more partial to Black Bolt because we actually got a effing comic accurate Black Bolt and he looked freaking amazing. Ugh, like, why? Give us more of that. Why couldn't the ABC <laughs> Pearl Mutter and that 
They didn't Scott want, Buck guy. They ah! they didn't want to spend the money. Um, that's why Lockjaw is introduced and then immobilized for you know a good chunk of the it's series. A, I know. I it just it just it bummed me. I'll never forget. I was arguing with these other people. I'll, I'll leave them nameless. But if you don't have um, but, the money, don't make it. Exactly. Uh, and I remember saying like. Why doesn't they should be in costumes? And they were being like, like he wears costumes all the time. Really, costumes. I'm like, Black Bolt without his costume is, I'm sorry, not as interesting. Just straight up needs a costume. And to me, uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness only emphasizes that. I think he looked incredible. I think you can reintroduce. uh, Black Bolt very easily in Inhumans in their awesome, amazing costumes. Can I throw you a, a Black Bolt nitpick? Please. Not the costume, the power. The voice? Uh, no, 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 no. The voice is fine. The voice is okay. fine. But if he spoke that loudly when he said, I'm sorry, to kill Doctor Strange, it's actually a much bigger thing. Like, to kill one person in close proximity, it's a very, very light whisper from Black Bolt. That's all. Just saying. Mm, oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so... So yeah, and the one thing I will, you know, I also very very funny. A lot of people online were suspecting that Captain Marvel was superior Iron Man, Tom Cruise, and I, which I never bought. <laughs> I, and I, I, and I yeah, I never thought that. Yeah, I thought it was funny, and I laughed out loud. I'm like, oh my god, people were like, it's superior Iron Man. I <laughs> bought into an alternate ver. I thought it was like alternate version Captain Marvel. I didn't know if it would be. A different version of Carol Danvers, Monica Rambo, Maria Rambo, whoever. But I'm glad yeah. it was Maria Rambo because Lashana Lynch was so good in that role in yeah. Captain Marvel. And it was just kind of a bummer because you have this character who shines in 1995 and even gets a good action moment besting Gemma Chan's Minerva in, in flight in that uh, third act, you know, climactic action sequence. So I really loved Lashana Lynch in that role. And then you fast forward from 1995 and then we go through Monica coming out of the blip and Maria Rambo has already passed away. And so sometimes you just worry that a character and an actor playing the character is just kind of lost forever and you're not going to see them again in the MCU. And now we get this alternate universe version. I I feel like it was a bit of a cheat though in the scene. Like I know I said Wanda won the fight, but in a lot of ways it didn't seem at the height of the powers seemed as powerful as captain as yeah. Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. But then like all of a sudden the powers just kind of turned off for some reason. And then she got crushed. Like that was the part where I was like, Oh, kind of felt like a cheat to end the fight uh, as opposed yeah. to uh, really a fight between Wanda and Captain Marvel could go on for a very, very long time. Well, and, and this movie it, had, didn't have time to devote to that. Yeah. The last thing I'll add to the Illuminati, um, Two things. The first thing, uh, Mordo Ejiofor, love him, love him, love him. It was so great to have him in this movie for a little bit. Uh, love everything about him. Love love that he was the Doctor Strange on the team on the Illuminati. Yep. The one the one thing I will say that I liked about this inclusion of the Illuminati is I think it plants the seed, obviously, for Doctor Strange to do the same thing in some form of Illuminati in the Marvel universe. Um, or the six in the uh, MCU six sixteen. I'll also dub it, and I think that to me is what I think is important about this setup. In this, is the fact that these people exist to protect. It's not the Avengers. It's more the well being of everything. You know, it really is trying to you know think outside the box. And obviously, there's 
pluses and minuses of that. And there's there's obviously a lot of, you know, there could be a lot of corruption in that as well. But there's there's a lot of interesting storytelling yeah. you could do. They did a good job of hinting at that. As briefly as the Illuminati were in this film, that mm-hmm. was one of, I thought, the, the bigger successes of what they Absolutely. achieved with the Illuminati was the moral complexity slash ambiguity of the Illuminati. like And how much that relates to, to Stephen Strange, too. Yeah, it, like, it actually who plays exactly, to his strengths. Yeah, like, who exactly are these people to decide these things? And also, we go to that moral complexity. They just flat out executed a Stephen Strange. Like, mm-hmm. yes, he crossed a line to try and defeat Thanos, but then Thanos was, and it, it caused an incursion. Bad thing. Trillions of people died. So, you know, no, no argument there. Bad thing. But... It was over and done with at that point, and maybe Stephen Strange wouldn't have done it again, and there was certainly some punishment and and accountability that was uh, warranted uh, for sure, but he was doing it to try and defeat Thanos, who was also trying to destroy and and kill trillions of people, right? So I I think that for Stephen Strange, or that Stephen Strange, 838 Stephen Strange, I I don't want to say he didn't deserve, you know, extreme punishment. Of course he did, but he was giving himself up and they just flat out executed him. And that's a very, but that's an Illuminati type of thing. Like I'm trying to remember, did they execute anybody? I don't remember. But uh, one thing they did was trying to erase Steve Rogers memory. Um, you know, when he disagreed with what they were doing, especially regarding incursions and stuff like that. So, well, they sent the Hulk to um, Planet Hulk by accident, but they were trying to exile him completely. But not execute him. Want it. But not execute well, him. It's one thing not to execute, but, but they yeah. didn't care that he almost died. Yeah. Well, uh, no, they put a bomb. Remember, they put a uh, there was a bomb oh, right. uh, that went off, and so that's what started pl- uh, World, World War Hulk. Because yeah. well, they were it. never gonna actually, they were never gonna actually be able to kill the Hulk. But I think that. You know, you but know, yeah, I, you but know, point being that yeah, the Illuminati does messed up stuff. Um, even though it's full of heroes that we normally like, uh, they do some stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, really gets into that moral gray area and it starts shading, you know, darker and darker with that gray, uh, with the Illuminati and granted their appearance was brief. And I do think that this is where, look, I would have sacrificed this Illuminati stuff to get more for Wanda in this movie. I, I would have, um, that said, like I, I, there were also things that I, I liked about this sequence. I, I do feel like the movie kind of struggled with this sequence a little bit because it was just so wedged in and like, here's Reed Richards, everybody here's everybody, you know, here's Captain Carter, everybody. And, you know, just assuming, you know, who these people are supposed to be, which makes sense for Captain Carter, maybe less sense for somebody like Reed Richards, who a lot of the audience maybe isn't as familiar with, but at least they recognize Jim from the office that they watched on Netflix before it moved to Peacock. So, like, I, I feel, you know, some of that stuff, though, I, I think took away from, I mean, it, it certainly created a great sequence of showing Wanda's power level as a Scarlet Witch, taking them all out. So maybe it's worth it just for that. And, of course, the, you know, the cheering section, like, I, I couldn't help but feel like watching the Illuminati sequence, it was ba- it was basically turning into, hey, cheer this, the movie, um, is kind of what was going on there. But, I don't know, I, I liked it at the same time. I feel like that time could have been better spent doing more stuff to justify the choices that they made with Wanda Maximoff. Or at the very least, as I said, this is only a two hour and six minute movie. So if they wanted to keep all of this and add some more material for Wanda, uh, they totally could have. But I agree with you that she would tell Edgy for is in that guy. It's unworldly, like just how charismatic and engaging he is. Like I just 
you, know, you just can't help but be drawn to him as a performer, even though he's playing a completely different version of, of Mordo in this, although not necessarily that different. And I like their fight because of the whole, you know, no magic cuffs that they have to wear. Like you get a good old fashioned like martial arts fight between uh, these two characters. And I like the way that Steven even baited uh, Mordo into it. But he does get away. They have to try and make their escape from Wanda. And, you know, there was great stuff there with like shutting the blast doors and then Wanda shows up and they try to drown her under the water. Love uh, that stuff. All that loved, stuff was loved it. great. Like Sam Raimi horror, all that, that part of it was, was working for me. That execution on the horror level uh, was, uh, was just fantastic. And then they go to, they get through the little door that Stephen Strange, Stephen Strange 838 built to get the shortcut to the book of Vashanti and then they get there, but the book is destroyed. Steven and Christine 838 are sent to another universe. Wanda captures America and heads back to 616. Uh, but yeah, that that whole sequence I thought was uh, was cool. Like the, you know, the Fright Night sort of stuff with Wanda Maximoff. As much as I may question some of the character choices and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it was effective in those in those moments. That's where I, I go back to that idea. Like in a vacuum, a lot of this movie works really, really well. If I'm not if I'm not at all thinking about who these characters are and, and what they've meant. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, for me, everything tracks, obviously, as, as I said before. But this stuff to me just was like I, I was so fully invested. It, it felt that Sam was really hitting his stride during this whole sequence of the Illuminati, not just because of the cameos, but because of what it turned into and what Wanda was doing, the whole chase thing, it was just phenomenal. I love this stuff. Yeah, that that stuff was cool. And then so where do Steven 616 and Christine 838 end up? They end up in what looks to be a post-incursion sort of reality or certainly one where a lot of stuff has gone bad. And we meet, uh, you know, Blackbeard, Doctor Strange, Pirate, Doctor Strange, whatever you want to call him. Can uh, I add one thing real fast? You can. Yeah. We did get the uh, Sam Raimi, I forgot what kind of car it is, the cameo that's in every one of his films that mm. uh, Uncle Ben was driving. It's also oh, yeah. the same car that Ash was driving in Evil Dead 2. Uh, it's also, you know, also in Army of Darkness. It's one of the floating cars. And I saw it. And I, of course, I, I yelled and cheered. And I was the only one. <laughs> nice. So it's, it's fun. yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> I, I did not notice the car, so I would have also been, but then I would have cheered with you just because I, there you I, go. I wouldn't have left you hanging. Like I can't believe <laughs> cloud made you cheer alone. He's probably upset about the boo anyway. So <laughs> they're in this post incursion, whatever world. And, uh, we find out that this Stephen strange, you ever had that dream that you're falling? Yeah, that was me. This dude's been killing like lots of Dr. Stranges because everybody has falling dreams all the time. Don't they? And uh, so then it comes to a fight for the Darkhold because our Stephen Strange is going to need that. It's the only way he's going to be able to stop Wanda over in the 616 universe. And we get one of the coolest magic fights. In fact, we might as well just shut down magic fights at this point because it's not going to get any cooler than weaponized musical notes um, that uh, the score actually plays with. Uh, I just, wow. Uh, <laughs> that was... I. As I was watching this music fight between these Doctor Stranges, I was struck by how simultaneously I was like, this is so weird and I don't even think it makes a lick of sense, but it doesn't matter because it just looks and sounds awesome is kind of where I, I it's just totally where I was with that. And I know, you know, the end result is 
Stephen Strange 616 beats this guy, kills him, actually impales the dude. Um, he's also got this uh, third eye that we got to keep an eye on because it's oh, no pun intended. Sorry, I walked right into that, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Uh, oh, man, so bad. But I'm going to leave it in. But uh, yeah, I just that sequence I thought was really, really cool. And then, of course, it allows Stephen Strange to get the dark hold, which he's going to use to unleash what he's about to unleash. I'll save that for when we actually get to that scene. Christine, obviously... Does not approve because anytime Stephen Strange has used the Dark Hold in the past, it's gone very, very poorly. And this is just Stephen Strange doing a Stephen Strange thing, which he's not supposed to do. He's supposed to be different, uh, but it turns out he isn't, or maybe he is. We'll have to find out. But he's doing a lot of the same things that have caused problems uh, in the past. But um, yeah, I I like the moral complexity of it of like Stephen Strange justifying the types of things he's not supposed to be able to justify finding a way to, to go through that. But more importantly, um, I really liked the music fight. The music fight was so ridiculous, but so amazing. And I, I, I think people didn't know what to expect from it. And I think that's why I loved it. It felt, it was so Sam Ramy for one thing. And it also felt very like Doctor Strange. Like it felt like it was, it just felt a little bit of that comic book uh, influence of just anything goes. And and with CGI and those ideas of uh, you can do more and your imagination. There's no limit. There's less limitations um, on films now, obviously, than ever as technology keeps growing and growing and growing. It felt very, very comic booky to me, and I think Sam just leaned heavy into it, and I love him and Danny Elfman just just playing that part. Um, so like just and, and going crazy and and going full fully into it, and it's unique, and I loved it. And I, I, I yeah. and yes, I, I think people in the audience did not know what to expect or not did not know what to think about that part, but I love it, and I think it's an. I this is one of the many reasons. And a great example of why of there's many different uh, examples with this movie, I think, with this like one scene um, that you can compare it to that why this movie will probably be a fan favorite for a lot of people because of things like that, of the creative things they do that are thinking outside the box that Sam does do. And he's not, he's a very authentic filmmaker in a sense that he does not make, he makes his own films. He has his own voice. And I think that's what makes him so special. And that he's also not afraid to take risk and be a little fun and ham it up and be ridiculous, but also take it seriously. It's, it's, it's a fine line to do that, Sean and Sam, for the most part, and he's not perfect, but I say for the most part, I'd say more 80, 85% of the time he hits it on, on every film he does for the most part. And I think obviously this is way above, above expectations. And, uh, I, I love this movie so much. And, and that's a big reason why he doesn't, he's not afraid to take chances and have fun, not take himself too seriously, but still take it seriously. And I love it. And that's a great example of it. Well, look, my job as an MCU referee is to call it like I see it and also be consistent. So I got to have the same strike zone across all these movies and especially Doctor Strange movies. One of my criticisms of the first movie was that it didn't go crazy enough with Doctor Strange. So I'm not going to criticize the movie for that and then not love this movie, at least maybe if I don't love it entirely, not love moments like this where it does just go for it. And just is unabashedly weird and fun and all like it's just that moment works for me. It's not some huge thing like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in the MCU. But it was just a really cool and interesting 
scene in a very interesting way to have a magic fight that I, I really enjoyed. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I just really, really dug it. And that's the stuff where I, I feel like to give Sam Raimi credit and, you know, this next scene is is really going to go into it. He is getting the most out of this. Like, I, I don't think, as I've said before, this story really develops and, and justifies all of the choices that it makes along the way for these characters, and, you know, especially Wanda, but even some of the larger plot points where it feels like so much of this movie is just going from universe to universe, place to place, and, and not really taking time, because it's only a two-hour movie, not really taking time to breathe, not letting taking time to let things just kind of settle in, sink in for you as an audience member. It's just going from place to place to place to place to place. And sometimes that can work. I, I do feel like this movie could have benefited from taking a few breaths here and there, but to get the most out of this story, you really need a director who provides, uh, you know, he brings the, this sense of flair to it. He brings things that are just visually interesting in terms of the overall style of the film. And you need a director who's just willing to go for it in every single scene. And, and that's what Sam Raimi really achieves in this. I, it, It's so weird for me anyway to have a movie that I have, as I've said, a, I am destined to have a, a forever complicated relationship with. And yet at the same time, be such a fan of what the director did. Because um, I, I do feel like whatever this story was that, that they had for this film, Sam Raimi, I am quite sure, got the the absolute most out of it. Um, thanks to music fights like this, but then also what happens next, because what is Stephen Strange doing as he's dreamwalking? Well, we've had it explained to us throughout the movie, but one thing that was never established is that you have to be alive to do it, or the body has to be alive, so that dead body that Stephen Strange buried earlier, that other him, is very useful now as we get Evil Dead or Zombie Strange, whatever you want to call him. And Strange 616 warns Christine Palmer to protect him from the damned who are going to come for him, and we see those demons. And that's just more Sam Raimi horror right there with these demons who attack Strange. They attack Christine. I like the way that she defends herself in that scene. But then the whole thing is Stephen Strange... Why fight these demons when you can just use them? And that shot of Evil Dead Strange as the demons are trying to fly and get away, and he's just like consuming them to turn him into this cloak of levitation, you know, this damned cloak of levitation was awesome. Like just so freaking cool, you know, saves Wong from a couple of monsters and all of that. And I don't, I don't want to skip right to the, the rest of the scene because I, I got some issues with the rest of the scene. Um, but that moment, that whole sequence with the demons was just so cheeseball horror and totally working. This is my jam. Oh, I knew Let it. Me tell it. <laughs> go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go, yeah. No, as I All said, right. like when, when Stephen Strange talks, like that's, I mean, it already, but then, yeah, like when it goes right. full, like yeah. Evil Dead and even like hints of Dark Man with that, I'm like, yeah, that's, oh, that, that's Paul. Yeah, dude. Dark Man. Oh, okay. Because it, it is totally Evil Dead. Like the, like the demons sound like the Deadites from Evil Dead, too. I mean, they, like an army of darkness. It's not like a, it's full on like Sam like, just pull, does not hold back. He's like, no, these are these are basically like my homage to Evil Dead completely. The way they move, everything. 
this whole scene is incredible when he grabs them. And I love and, and this is what I'm going to say. I'm not a big fan of Christine's uh, character per se. I thought Rachel McAdams did a lot for what she was given. Yep. And I got I got to tell you this scene in these this particular scene of her watching over him and before I actually really liked a lot. I thought she did a fantastic job. And I'll I got to tell you too Sean, this is you know, I did not buy the relationship until this part. And to me, I I think I'm fine with their characterizations or as like where, how they've kind of built on it and are buying the relationship and everything is all predicated on this one scene in one part of the movie because I didn't really care. I, I like you. I'm like, okay, I get, I get it. Love. And, I, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's move on now. I'm like, okay, I see it. I get it now because well, I love Now you see it, stuff. but Stephen Strange is going to move on to one of the great loves of Stephen Strange's oh, life in the mid credit scene. Oh yeah. 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 Well, hold on. But, but that being said, um, I, I loved all this. I loved her. I love uh, he, she inspired him. I love that. But this whole thing with demons, whoo, when they all went, became a cloak. I, I was laughing so much and slapping Chris's leg and my leg. I'm like, this is, I, I just kept, this is effing amazing. Like this is, this is exactly what Dr. Strange. And this is not like, again, I'm not the biggest Dr. Strange from the comic books. I haven't, I haven't read a ton. He's one of my weaker points of the MC of, you know, Marvel comics and everything. I, I haven't read a ton. I've, I haven't done a ton of research personally with Dr. Strange. I need to, this is motivating me to, to be honest, but this right here just is, it feels that spirit is there when Sam Raimi just nails. It. And I just, I loved it. His entrance of saving everyone. Oh my God. It's just, and let's let's call it too. I love when trailers trick us, Sean. Because when Wong goes strange, I could maybe I'm wrong, I but I'm not. I'm pretty sure that those are two different shots. One is him more desperation from the trailer, and then the real one is him smiling, saying strange. Right. Am I wrong? No, it, it definitely. I don't. I didn't. I can't remember the actual shot, but certainly the vibe in the trailer. It, it felt. Different. It felt a lot more like like Wong yelling at strange for like doing something out of control and like, you know, like, yes, like don't do that as opposed right. to like, Holy shit. That's awesome. You did that. Like, I feel like that's yeah. kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, but also Wong was about to die and now he's super stoked <laughs> that he's not gonna. Uh, so I think that might factor into, uh, the, but yes, I, I definitely think they were playing it differently and the whole idea and, like you, I mean, a few things got spoiled just because visuals were just kind of there auto playing in my you know feed when I wasn't paying close enough attention, and then sadly was uh, looking at it just the wrong the wrong moments. But I had cut out a lot of the other marketing, so I didn't really see anything that that tipped off that Evil Dead Strange was going to be so heroic. Because actually, before that, he wasn't Evil Dead Strange; he was Curse of the Black Pearl Strange to me. And so um, I, I think the way that this played was um you know true to form for Sam Raimi and, and bringing that into the MCU and Doctor Strange being about as good of a character as, as he could do that with um it it worked and 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 look people were laughing at it especially as i said the moment when strange is talking to america chavez especially when he says her name america and like you know obviously he has half of his mouth missing so like it just looks awkward and weird but like and and it does look a bit cheesy which and it's it's horror camp, which is part of what Sam Raimi does. Like some of it is a lot of it is just genuinely scary. It's just flat out terrifying. But then there's other stuff that you can kind of laugh with and at. And 
when I say laugh at, normally that's a bad thing. And there are probably some moments of this movie that I found myself laughing at that maybe wasn't necessarily meant to. But this moment, for sure, it's like you're laughing at it a little bit, but you're kind of supposed to. Like the everybody who's making this movie is aware that this looks cheesy, and they it's part of just the tonal. I guess, mess for better and for worse of, of what this movie can do, that it's just so many different things all mashed up together, including a bit of camp. And those of us who remember, it's a different style of camp in, well, not not entirely, but you know, we got a lot of different styles of camp in the Spider-Man movies, but there was some of this horror camp, especially in uh, Spider-Man 2. And this is kind of par for the course with Sam Raimi. This is part of that signature style for this director, and that part of it worked for me. And, and as I said, the character arc. So you, okay, Evil Dead Strange is cool and it looks funny and, and whatever and it's fun. But this is where I, I want to give this movie some credit for doing some things that are, are more meaningful. I, I don't think it nailed this across the board throughout the entirety of the film. But we talked about early on in the movie, the whole idea, the whole trading lives thing that Doctor Strange is, seems to be more comfortable with than, even if he's not comfortable with it, more ready and willing to do than perhaps other heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or certainly more so than a, a number of other heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, this movie opens with a Stephen Strange who's ready to kill America Chavez. And this one, Wong tells Stephen to take America's power. And Wong knows what that means. Wong is basically telling Stephen Strange to kill America Chavez because that's the only way. And Stephen makes another choice and just tells America that he believes in her. Like, I believe in you, America, which is the line that comes across and as looking kind of funny. I don't know, is, is that some metaphor for the film still believing in America despite how bad things have been? Maybe. I don't know if there's anything that if there's any connection there. I'm just probably reading too much into it. As always, we are two and a half hours into this show. After all, we're getting there. So. I I like the fact that Stephen Strange doesn't do it, that even though the justification might theoretically be there and he gets the permission from America Chavez, to say like, it's OK, I understand this is what has to happen and he chooses something else and just chooses to believe in her instead and help her believe in herself and the way he explains it. All of that tracks. I love that. That Or America Chavez, everything that she's done has led her to this point. She can control this power. And then, of course, uh, she does. My problem with the scene, I don't buy that Wong would ever order Strange or be okay with the idea of killing America Chavez. I don't, I don't buy that. And I don't think the scene needs that. I don't think... I think it does a disservice to Wong as a character. I mean, this is the same guy who was willing to take the Scarlet Witch to Wondergore Mountain where she would be able to access the original Darkhold and be more powerful than she's ever been. He was willing to do that, which would also help ensure her victory, willing to do that instead of allowing her to torture and kill a handful of members of the Masters of the Mystic Arts. I don't believe... So if he's willing to... If he's not going to trade lives then then he's not going to trade the life of a child, America Chavez, in this moment either. I don't know why they felt like they had to have, they needed to add Wong to the temptation of Doctor Strange to make the sacrifice play with America Chavez. Doctor Strange is already prone to do those sorts of things, so on his own, he could have gone ahead and thought about that and then obviously made the other choice. I don't like the idea of Wong being the one to order that because I just don't think that's who he is. I don't think that's what he says. 
Um, I, I feel like they, and I, I know it's such, it, it happens so fast that maybe a lot of people will just dismiss it and not pay attention to it, but that's where it made it awkward when Wong is now training America to be a master of the mystic arts at the very end of the movie, which I don't even know why she needs that. Like, why does she even need to figure out how to use a sling ring? She can open up portals like to wherever she wants. She doesn't need the sling ring. But it's very awkward. Like he ordered for her to die, even though as desperate as the situation was. And now he's like, yeah, I'll teach you. I guess he feels like he owes her free lessons at Kamartage. It's the only way I think of if Wong feels like he owes America something. And he totally does because he did something out of character. And I, I don't like that the movie did that with him. But other than that, you know, the rest of the sequence uh, I, I liked. And I'll, I'll shut up for a second before we get into what America actually does to defeat Wanda Maximoff or the Scarlet Witch, rather. I... The only thing I'm going to say is that I definitely did not think twice about that line from Wong, and I didn't. I I was. Too I think that's what everything. they're. I think that's what they're hoping that that and nobody does. It was does. successful for me. Yeah, it was successful because I even now, as you tell me, I really, to be honest, and maybe this, I'm being uh, dismissive of critiques and and ignoring things, and you can say what you want. I have no problem with it. I mean, in a sense, to where I'm like, you know. He dire situation, blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I'm not, yeah, it's a perfect no. I just didn't care then. It was fine. Um, to me, the best part is just the growth of Dr. Strange. And that's because it is called Dr. Strange, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, again, going back to that, what we talked about in the whole movie before in the very beginning where he's, he's, he's realizing there's consequences, right? There's, there, you know, yes, he did the right thing. But, you know, you have to make decisions based upon when you don't you can't see the outcomes either. Right. And you have to have faith. And I think there's, you know, just doing the right thing sometimes is scary. And but also you just got to believe in it. And the growth to me is where, where Stephen, I think, has to really accept and and, and, and really own and, and know that, like, even though everyone's telling him that he can't do it, he's got to work above um, what's the word I'm looking for. He's got to work above the what you know these decisions he has to make. He has to make the decision and go with it, and feel like that's the right thing to do, even if maybe it, it, there's a chance it might not work out. You know, he, he's got to find that that balance. And I love the fact that he, there's a confidence there, and you know, believing in her because there is you know he does doubt himself. You know, when he, when people bring him up with these you know like at the very, very beginning of the movie. So I do think there's a big growth there for him to start accepting people and learning and, and again, giving up the, the control, you know, the scalpel, the surgery, right? Like he's giving that right. up a little bit here and letting her make that decision and giving her the, you know, the, the possibility of becoming more than what she thought she was. And I think that all those things are, are leading him to, you know, to give him confidence in that. And I, I like that scene a lot based on that. Now, granted, was a perfect, maybe not. I, I don't really mind it. But yeah, I, I like where the outcome was for Dr. Strange as a character. I thought, was, I thought that was solid. Absolutely. Yeah. What it means for the Stephen Strange arc, I've got no problem with whatsoever. I think that's one of the stronger achievements of the within the story of this movie. So that I have no problem with. It just didn't have to come at the expense of an out of character moment for Wong. Like, I, I think that moment can play pretty much exactly the same way without Wong doing something that I, I don't feel like he would do. And, you know, yeah, that that moment didn't bump up against for you. But I mean, first time I saw the movie and then I mean, second time I knew it was coming. But first time I was just like, oh, come on, like, no way. I I I rolled my eyes so hard I almost hurt myself. Like, I just really didn't think that was something that that fit. And it just felt like 
they're using him to kind of communicate the urgency of the moment where I think the moment, the urgency was already apparent and we already know the decision that Stephen Strange is going to be faced with. So just, we don't need Wong to be the reminder of that decision, especially not being the one in favor of him making uh, the sacrifice play that he's not going to make. But yes, I, I love that Stephen Strange turns it over to America Chavez and, and that's what it's at, you know, as far as that whole idea you know, the whole trading lives thing to, to go into the Steve Rogers log logic of it all. Well, the, if you're just going to treat it as something that can be sacrificed, like you can just kill someone for the sake of the greater good, because you're going to save a bunch of other lives. Even when it seems like that's what you have to do, you have to look in, in for that faith that there could be another way for, you know, for a hero like Stephen Strange, that, that does that really have to be the other option? And part of what it is, is you you have to be willing to fail to some extent or not even necessarily be the one who fails. As you said, Paul, you have to have that faith that this person is going to be able to come through in this moment. This person is uh, is capable, that there is another way if we can only see it. And maybe the reason why we can't see it is because the other way, or the reason I can't see it if I'm Stephen Strange is I can't see it because I'm not the other way. It's her. It's America Chavez. And yes, hands her the scalpel, hands her the knife, and she's the one who uh, comes up with the perfect plan. At first, it's a fight, and she does a good job getting some good shots in on Wanda, but then the next piece to that is, you know, that's not working, and she's not going to beat Wanda in a fight, so uh, she smartly makes the choice that she's going to give Wanda exactly what she wants, and she lets those kids see the Scarlet Witch for what she really is, and they don't see her as mom. They are calling for their mom, which is 838-WANDA, and... The Scarlet Witch, all of this goes away. And, you know, she gives up on this pursuit. And there's a great moment between the two Wandas where 838 tells 616 that just know that they will be loved, which Wanda accepts. She didn't accept that when Wong pitched it to her earlier, but now she's ready to because she sees that these kids um, are never going to love her in the way that her own kids did because they're not her kids. They are the kids of another version of Wanda elsewhere in the universe. And it is totally wrong for her, as she's realizing now, to steal another Wanda's life and, oh, also kill a bunch of people in the pursuit of that goal. So Wanda has learned herself a lesson again uh, in this movie, and she her penance this time is not to be off alone on a mountain. It is to bring a mountain down on top of herself. That is Wonder Gore, where she will be buried under the rubble until she is inevitably unearthed, whether that's in Agatha House of Harkness or somewhere else in an MCU movie or Disney Plus series on the way in the relatively near future, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I, I I liked a lot of the sequence, but yeah, the, the Wanda sacrifice at the end didn't really mean all that much because, frankly, she had done way too many awful things, uh, just horrific things throughout the story. And also, I saw a better version of Wanda realizing that she needed to let go of a reality that didn't actually belong to her, a life that didn't actually belong to her uh, with the resolution we got with the Hex in WandaVision. So that moment didn't land for me as as strongly, no, really strongly at all. Uh, and certainly it wasn't as, as strong, wasn't as impactful as the fulfillment of Stephen Strange's arc. And that's where, again, I feel like this movie let down some of the other characters, Wong briefly in that moment and, and Wanda Maximoff. And I get that Stephen Strange is the one who has his name in the title, but you have these characters who are prominently featured in 
multiple MCU projects, but then in this specific MCU project and this story being told, and I think they deserve better than what they got in some of these moments. Wong, it was just a moment. Uh, Wanda, it was a lot of this movie that I had uh, that I had issues with. But we transition to our epilogue, not our mid and post credit scenes, but just our epilogue where Stephen Strange has let go of evil dead strange. He's buried in the mountain with Wanda and he gets to tell Christine 838 that he loves her in every universe, which I've seen people already comparing this line and saying it's better than I love you 3000. I'm an, I'm an, I love you 3000 guy, but that's also maybe because I don't totally buy into this Stephen strange, Christine Palmer love story. Then we get to America in training with the masters of the Mystic at Comertage, as I said, with Wong, who was just ordering her death a moment ago, but Stephen strange, finally, We talk about deferring to others, humbling himself, letting others take the lead. He let America Chavez take the lead in order to stop the Scarlet Witch. And now he is finally respecting and practicing that ancient custom of bowing before the Sorcerer Supreme to give Wong that respect, not because of the rank, but just because I think he genuinely respects Wong and and wants to show him that. Stephen Strange then fixes his watch and he goes for a stroll outside the Sanctum Sanctorum. And all of a sudden, that third eye emerges in his forehead, uh, the same one that we saw from the other guy who caused some incursions, uh, the pirate Doctor Strange, or whatever you want to call him. And that is the end of our movie. So that is also very much a Sam Raimi final shot. And like, we told this entire story, and now things are about to get even weirder in the next one. If you get to see a next one and it picks up exactly where this one left off. Now, there will be a next Doctor Strange movie. This thing is making a ton of money for its opening weekend at the box office. And even if it has steep drops in future weekends, it's still going to make enough that obviously there are going to be more Doctor Strange movies and appearances by him in other movies. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the mid and post credit scenes here in, in just a second. But that uh, that last shot, as weird as it is, and it feels like, oh yeah, the story has to continue now. Well, yeah, that's, it does because this is the MCU, but also the the intense and, and weird way that it ends is also a, a trademark, a, a signature of the director who, as I said, uh, I've said a couple times now, but it just bears repeating, a director who really got the most out of this story. I absolutely adore this movie. The ending is one thousand percent Sam Raimi. I thought it was. I have no idea where they're going with this, to be honest, and I kind of love that. It, Again, Doctor Strange, one of my weaker weak spots in Marvel comic books, and I need to rectify that because I love, love, love this stuff. And I, yeah, I, I love this movie to death. I, I, I'm, I am jonesing to watch this movie again. And it's, we talk about the pace, you know, really quickly, really quickly before we get to the, we wrap up and talk about the, the post and credit end scenes, whatever. I, I agree that it could have been longer. And to explain some things and but I will say as someone I, I, I think a movie needs to be as long as it needs to be as a big fan of the, of the Batman. I love that length. A lot of people don't like it. I think I can understand why it's long. But, you know, every movie is, is going to be paced and, and done differently. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, for being long, whatever. I feel I, I really do truly feel that the, the runtime for this is perfect. I thought it was a perfect runtime. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. I, I just I thought the pay, it was a really well paced movie in my opinion, and I think that when it ended, I thought it was it just I never was once bored 
ever. And it, it is the again, that's Sam Raimi. It's a Sam Raimi movie. He's he's amazing. Um so so yeah, I, I, I adore adore this movie. The ending was so Sam Raimi and yeah, I'm very anxious to talk about the uh, mid credit scene. But yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I thought it was a beautifully paced movie, honestly. Well, it was a fast-paced movie, and I think that suited the story to some extent. But I, I love the idea of a, a two-hour movie. I'm not asking for this to be two hours for the sake of it. I do think, though, this movie is missing some stuff that really could have added to some of the choices that were made in this movie. And it wouldn't have necessarily made things drag or slow down. There could have been other fast-paced scenes that covered some of the material that I'm asking for, some of the things that I feel like yeah. aren't fully justified in the story. Because, yeah, the runtime, ultimately, is just an arbitrary number. The movie should be as long as it needs to be. And the only reason I would advocate for this movie being a little bit longer is I do think one or two more scenes explaining some things and choices for certain characters would benefit the story overall. Even if you're just weaving extra lines into the scenes that exist. It doesn't even necessarily, I'm not asking for a whole other half hour for uh, for this movie. So it's not like oh, I'm criticizing it for just being two hours. It'd be fine if it was also covering all the bases to justify the choices that it makes with the characters. And I don't quite feel like, um, I, I really don't feel like it does that. But let's move on to the mid credit scene. And so we see Stephen Strange walking down the street again. Seems to have made peace with that uh, third eye. And then somebody comes out of a portal. It's, holy crap, Charlize Theron in the MCU. And she's wearing purple and has the white hair. And she's opened a portal to the dark dimension and saying that Stephen Strange caused an incursion and asked him if he wants to help her fix it. And of course he does. And I was like, okay, this has to be Clea, right? Because she's wearing mm -hmm. purple. She's coming from the dark dimension. And like, okay, where are the credits that actually show, you know, the, the cast with the character names? And there it was, Charlize Theron confirmed in the credits as Clea. Who is Clea? Well, that is one of the great loves of, of Stephen Strange's life in the comic book. She dates back to the original Stan Lee and Steve Ditko run. This is a character who is largely held captive in the Dark Dimension by Dormammu. But at the same time, she kind of stays there because she is also able to help kind of keep Dormammu at bay to some extent. And certainly they're playing on, I don't know what the full nature of that relationship will be in the MCU, but where she's taking Stephen Strange is what we see there is the Dark Dimension, and that is absolutely where she comes from. I don't know if that means that Dormammu is going to be back now in the next Doctor Strange movie, but I am really happiest about this on two fronts. One, Charlize Theron is uh, an outstanding actress, and now here she is. Mm -hmm in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's awesome. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and wanting Clea to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the start of the MCU. And that's also part of why maybe I was never that invested in the idea of a relationship between Stephen Strange and Christine Palmer. And I'm glad that he has made his peace with the fact that that's not going to happen. He loves her in every universe, but he'll be with her in pretty much none of them. And so, uh, or maybe in some, it works out. But I just love that now he's going to be, and, and I don't know, maybe they won't have it be romantic between Stephen Strange and Clea in the MCU, but why not? It's there in the comic books. Um, and also, Clea is just a really cool character that really focuses on the multiverse and these otherworldly things like the Dark Dimension, which we only barely saw in the first movie. So if we get to see more of that 
in the next installment, whether next that next installment meaning Doctor Strange 3 or some other project in the MCU that involves these characters. I am so excited about that. I, w- I was really hoping, by the way, that Clea might make it into this movie, um, but uh, obviously she didn't, but uh, there was this movie had enough things going on. Clearly didn't need the inclusion of, of yet another character from the comic books, but I'm so excited that she's here now and that Charlize Theron, you know, mega movie star, isn't necessarily playing the biggest role that's out there uh, from the comic books, but a character like Clea only adds to it and elevates the character. I mean, I, I love it when a, a big movie star plays a major character, but I think I actually love it more when the big movie star plays a lesser known character because it gives them a chance to elevate that character um, as opposed to playing a character that doesn't need to be elevated because they're already a big deal. So I like this casting choice. And really, I'm just so happy that, that Clea is now here in the MCU and we'll get to see adventures with her very soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I, I think to me this was a great thing because it, it allows Doctor Strange, I think, to move on from Christine. And it's kind of like that whole thing, Sean. When I was younger, people would always tell me this, you know, when you stop looking for love, it finds you. You know, kind of a thing. <laughs> that, but honestly, I kind of felt that. I'm like, you know, as soon as he moves on, of course, like you get, you know, smacked up with maybe a potential soulmate. Like it's always happens that way, right? You finally move on, and then it, it come out of nowhere, you know. So it feels like that a little bit, and maybe I'm I'm totally wrong on this, but I think there might be a little 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 fun little nod to that idea. But like you said, Dormammu or Dormammu, if you if you ask me, um, yes. Yes, I still oh. like it too. Uh, best, uh, but best, I, I, best I Easter do... egg of all is the one that's yes. in this podcast of Dormammu. <laughs> if I ever heard that, if someone was pronounced that into a Marvel film, like in the next one or something like that, I would. I'd just probably faint. Uh, <laughs> be, be quite honest. Oh my god, it'll never happen, obviously. But but anyway, I I do like what the the addition of Clea is, is was so much fun. I love Charlie Theron. That was such a surprise to me. That was the biggest surprise next to like. Mr. Fantastic and everything. So, and Black Bolt, like that was like, and it's not too far off either. I was shot. I'm like, whoa, Charlie Starin and it's Kalia? Holy crap. Uh, this has, a, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting things with this because I think this sets up the ultimate Dormammu uh, versus Doctor Strange fight. We got a little bit in that mm-hmm. Doctor Strange movie, the first one. We're actually, I think we're going to see full on flame headed Ghost Rider ish. Dormammu in the next one and actually be like a humanoid figure and everything. So, which, if, and let's be real, if Sam Raimi's directing, holy, it's going to be incredible. Like, I, yeah, Dormammu, humanoid, Sam Raimi. I kind of feel like Doctor Strange might be forced to work with Dormammu in the next Ooh, one. Maybe, you know, so I, if, you, if me- you cause a like an, a reality ending incursion, you need. To fix that, I don't know. You might need the help of Dormammu. And they make deals, Dormammu and Doctor Strange. Yeah, it, it happens. True. So like it I did. It did I could see the uneasy alliance that eventually turns into, you know, the the all out battle. Yeah. It's fair. I'm a big fan of uneasy alliances. They're fun. But I, I also yeah. like that, you know, Charlize Theron playing this character. It's I mean, for a long time I know she was a, a fan favorite for Captain Marvel, and you know, obviously Brie Larson has that, does a great job. But uh, I know my top choice for Charlie Theron was probably Abigail Brand um, from Sword, which Sword has mm. been introduced in the MCU now, but that character hasn't. So I, I liked her for that role, but I also love her for the role of, of Clea. And as I said, that character just now being here in the MCU, 
is uh, is very very exciting. The post credit scene. This one's just for fun, right? So yeah. Stephen Strange cast the spell. That it was going to be three weeks of you know Pizza Papa punching himself, and now it's it's over. And Bruce Campbell gets to tell us to camera, it's over. We can go home after having oh. seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It was just fun. This is not like me reading into this and saying. It's that Deadpool 3 tease like I was you know, right. weakly suggesting because that totally wasn't the intent for uh, Wanda breaking the fourth wall earlier in the movie. But look, Sam Raimi in the MCU, Bruce Campbell in the MCU with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's only right that Bruce Campbell gets the gets the last word yep. and gets to send us home. Yep. One thousand percent. One hundred percent agree. And with all that said, I mean, look at us. This podcast is nowhere Longer. near four hours. So no, no, it's not. We have done, uh, I think it's a personal best, you know, a new speed record for a movie spoiler review. Maybe not. You know, I think there's other ones that were shorter. But sure. for something like Multiverse of Madness, with, with as many characters as were included in this, certainly had the potential to go a lot longer. So oh, yeah. um, kudos to us for being so concise, uh, for being unusually concise and, and totally not at all. But uh, thank you very much if you made it all the way to the end of this. Bless you. You have our gratitude. And also have our gratitude if you are subscribing over for, or not over at, but over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you subscribe to Fanshow Plus, whether that's uh, via just searching Fanshow Plus on Apple Podcasts or looking for the MCU Fanshow channel on Apple Podcasts. That's where you can find that exclusive show that covers additional MCU news, so like Doctor Strange box office, maybe a few other little things that we'll talk about in relation to this movie and maybe where things go from here. And then, which is coming up very, very soon now, Moon Knight's over, and our spoiler review for the season finale of Moon Knight is on the way. But before too long, we'll have to start doing spoiler reviews for Obi-Wan Kenobi, which just looks Ooh. incredible. And very excited to be covering that on Fan Show Plus as well. Mm -hmm. So make sure you check that out. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MCU Fan Show. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. I've got a couple of new subscribers over there. For, so if you have subscribed recently, thank you very much. New videos are on the way. And you can follow me at Dormamamoo with two Mamamoos. No, you can follow me at Mr. Sean Gerber on Instagram and Twitter. So for Paul, I am Sean. Thank you so much for listening to MCU Fan Show. And even though this is not a Moon Knight spoiler review, it's still fun. Laters, Gators. <laughs>